morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It turns out Alvin Stardust does not live anywhere near us. He's pointless. The reason I'm looking... I, do you remember he used to do those road safety adverts? He wasn't the Green Cross Code man. That was David Prowse. And I, I think Kevin Keegan did one as well. But Alvin Stardust was the one that did it for me. I'm having great trouble getting my three-year-old to cross the road safely. Any tips will be gratefully appreciated. I'll tell you what happened at the weekend a little bit later on. Coming up on the show this morning, flipping heck, it's busy. You can quote me on that. A million pounds has already been spent fighting plans for a rail freight terminal in Hertfordshire. Now the council wants to go to the High Court. We'll find out more about the campaign next. Have you ever been the victim of a hate crime? Well, a phone line is being launched to help people who've suffered. A Buckinghamshire man will explain why he didn't want to report his problems to the police. And I, I want to hear all about your attempts to brew your own beer. I've never done it. My dad used to do it. And uh, he used to do that in wine. And it used to taste horrible. Oh, it was bitter. It was like, it was like vinegar. I mean, I was only a kid. I was like eight, nine. But I had, I had to have a little, uh, little sneaky little sip. It was horrible. Oh, dear. Well, apparently, home brewing is increasing in popularity. Thousands of people across the country are now doing it. I remember one night, and this is slightly off topic, all the wine bottles exploded. The corks flew out because it was, I don't know, it was fermenting or something. Fermenting. Uh, And so all the cork bottles, ping, 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 flew out one evening. Fantastic. What are your experiences with home brewing? Is it just a hobby for sad old men with beards and pipes? Or is it growing in popularity? Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Always good to go on the Facebook page and have a little argument with the other listeners. You weren't doing it so much yesterday. Go on there and have a, have a little argument. Play nice. Don't be rude. But it's good to... You can see why I enjoy it so much. You can also text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Put your name on your text, otherwise I won't read it. Or, look, the start of the show, all of the lines are free, for goodness sakes. Why don't you give us a call? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire council, which has already spent £1 million fighting against the proposed rail freight terminal, is now looking to challenge the government in the High Court. Well, we followed the twists and turns of the plan for the site on the old Radlett Aerodrome uh, site here on BBC Three Counties Radio. Just before Christmas, the Secretary of State, Eric Pickles, said he was minded to give it the go-ahead, but St Albans Council has fought it, fought it all the way. The MP for St Albans has now secured a debate in Westminster over the plans to build the terminal on Greenbelt land. Anne Main has previously described the decision to approve the development as a mindless act of vandalism. Well, Cathy Bolshoy is from Stri- uh, Strife, Stop the Rail Freight Exchange, and joins me now. Morning, Cathy. Good morning. Yeah, how long have you been campaigning against this? Over six years now, Ian. Why is it so important to you, Cathy? Because I think it would change the whole area. It would be catastrophic for this area of Hertfordshire. Um, and it's, it's a, l- l- a huge piece of Greenbelt land that is prime... And it's it's the lungs of South West Hertfordshire. It's the last large piece of Greenbelt land between St Albans and London. And it needs to be protected at all costs. Now, the, the councils, as we know, are making cutbacks everywhere, and there's going to be even more cutbacks soon. For St Albans District Council to spend a million pounds so far, and counting, is that money well spent, do you think, Cathy? I think it is. Um, I think, basically, we are looking to Hertfordshire County Council to try and save, um, save this piece of green, Greenbelt land. We'd like them to 
not sell the family silver. And I think um, what St Albans has done has been very commendable. I think they have stuck by their original decision and bo- uh, both our, uh, public inquiries and through the High Court. And I think it is money well spent, yes. Where else do you think a rail freight interchange could go? Well, there is the possibility of one over at Colnebrook, which is near Slough. Um, a developer, a different developer, is looking at, uh, at building one there. Um, and uh, up and down the country, really, yes. Is it not just a case of nimbyism, Cathy? Why, why should poor old Slough, where I, I was born and grew up in Slough, why should Slough suffer? I'm not saying Slough should suffer at all. It's just that it would actually work more as a strategic rail freight interchange at Slough. Therefore, it would actually do the job. Our argument is that we're not against strategic rail freight interchanges at all and in principle, but what we are against is them being in the wrong place so that they wouldn't actually work as a strategic rail freight interchange. It would end up being more of a road-to-road freight interchange. Do you think that most council taxpayers in Hertfordshire will support the, the council spending a million pounds? Well, they've already spent that virtually anyway. Um, and I but think will, they, will I, people support it, though? I think so. I think they do, because I think there is so much opposition to this um, particular scheme. I think that it is well supported. Yes, absolutely. OK, well, listen, the, the, neither the government nor the developers uh, will comment whilst the legal process is underway. But I'm sure they're listening to this, Cathy. What, what's your message to them? Please accept and understand that we don't want this here. It's not the right place for a strategic rail freight interchange. It wouldn't work as a strategic rail freight interchange. And we need to protect the green belt at all costs. Cathy Bolshoff uh, from Strife, thank you very much indeed. Well, a spokesman for the Department of Communities and Local Government said, we've received correspondence from St Albans District Council, but it's not appropriate to comment further as it relates to potential legal proceedings. And developers Helio Slough said, we are encouraged that the Secretary of State is minded to approve our proposal and we are now carefully considering the further requirements requested. Well, the MP for St Albans and Maine will be joining me on the show after seven o'clock. What do you think? A million pounds... You're a resident of Hertfordshire. Do you, do you think that, that a million pounds well spent fighting this? It's a lot of money, and we're hearing, aren't we, every day on this show, that councils are cutting back money and they're, they're making savings. The number of police are being cut back, for goodness sakes. Everything's being cut back. And yet a million pounds to stop this. I do feel sorry for Slough. Conbrook's not actually that near to Slough. It's, um, it's a fair distance away. But I do, I do feel sorry for Slough and, and those areas. I live there. I grew up there. They always seem to get um, the, 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 the pointy end of the stick, don't they, shoved into them? Is it just a case of nimbyism, or, or do you agree with Cathy? Actually, come on, fair play. Fair play, guys. Let's not build it there. 08459 455 555. It's cost a million pounds and counting. Is that money well spent, or do you think St Albans uh, District Council should just cut their losses and walk out of this? So, the boys three. Three a couple of weeks ago. And we've got a baby who's one. Now, if one of us, the parents, me or my missus, are out with both the boys, we're pushing the baby in the buggy, <clears throat> and the three-year-old is off running like lunatic as they do. But the d- latest development is he won't stop when he gets anywhere near the road. He runs straight towards the road and sometimes runs in it. The other day, my wife was out with him. He ran straight towards the road. He only stopped when a car that was coming down the road saw him, beat really loudly, and made a rude gesture to my wife, as if to say, Oi, keep him under control. Keep him under control. Uh, and um, it, it's, it's worrying, isn't it? I don't know what to do. We've had the chat, why do, you, uh, why do you run into the road? You know it's not safe, you could go to hospital. And his answer was, well, I'm Superman, and Superman doesn't need to stop for cars. That was his argument. 
Now, you're, basically, you're arguing with a lunatic. Imagine if an adult said that. You would think, oh, for goodness sakes, I'm, I'm going to get the next bus. But you're, uh, this is his argument. He genuinely believes he is Superman, and Superman does not stop. He doesn't need to stop, because the cars, quote, will bounce off me, Dada, unquote. Now, you, you and I know that's not going to happen. So, we've tried loads of different techniques. We've tried the shouting... We've tried the gentle talking. I'm not doing the hitting. I'm not doing the hitting. I know some of you will say, oh, hit him. Give him, give him a wallop. That'll, that'll scare him. No, I'm not doing that. That's out. That's verboten. Uh, we did, um, we, we, I've tried to instigate a game at home where whenever one of us shouts stop, everyone has to freeze. I tried a thing at the weekend where I would hold his hand and try and get him to cross the road with me and do the green cross code. He wouldn't do it. He would not do it. I don't want him to get knocked down by a car, surprisingly. I mean, he was naughty yesterday, but still. So I need your tips. How on earth, if you've been through this with your kids or your grandparents, uh, your grandchildren, your grandparents maybe as well, they can be very forgetful. If you've been through this with your kids and your grandkids, how on earth do you do it without smacking him? 08459 455 555. We don't have things. When I was a kid, we had um, the Green Cross Code Man, David Prowse, a.k.a. Darth Vader. We had Alvin Stardust, and I think Keegan did one, didn't he? Those road safety films. We don't have them now. <clears throat> the best road safety film we could find on YouTube was these two Cockney hedgehogs. It was horrible. My wife, who, let's be honest, is a little bit snobbish, but he's not watching that again. When he went off singing in a Cockney voice, no, he's not watching that again. It might save his life, I don't care. It's going to ruin his education. So, 08459 455 555. How on earth do I stop my son getting knocked over by a bus? Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, have you been spat at in the street because you're disabled or accused of being a bit of a scrounger because you're in a wheelchair? Well, these are just two examples of hate crime which have happened in the three counties. There were over 12 hundred reported incidents in beds, hearts and bucks last year. Well, today, uh, Buckinghamshire County Council will promote a helpline to support victims. It's called the Stop Hate Line and is being partly funded by the council. Well, Trevor from Buckinghamshire, that's not his real name, has been a victim of hate crime on numerous occasions and joins me now. Morning, Trevor. What's happened to you? Morning, Ian. Um, Well, a number of of things, really, that have happened um, that you just, I suppose, in some respects, you don't think that are you know, sort of, ain't, ain't, you know, you don't think that they hate crime at the time, but, you know, sort of when you when you reflect back on them, um, I suppose you, you do think that, you know, you've been a victim. Um, the most significant one for me, really, was, I was um, I've been a wheelchair user for a couple of decades now, and um, uh, very newly disabled, and, um, and, and, and basically I was uh, in the middle of a busy town centre, and uh, there was a, a guy preaching about the church, and um, he spotted me from across the, the market square and um, started screaming sinner at me. He, he, sorry, what? He started screaming sinner. Well, uh, Trevor, I have to ask the question, are you a sinner? Um, we're all sinners here. Oh. But, um, <laughs> Very true, yeah, tell me about but, it. Um, he said, you know, he was screaming at me, basically, saying that um, the reason I was disabled was because I was a sinner. And what sins have I done? What sins have I done? So this is across the square? Yeah. Really loudly? Very loudly. What? Well, and well, then I... came, approached me, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and was basically right up in my face, you know, calling me a sinner. And there was nowhere I could go. <laughs> I was, I was... Well, pissed. help, Trevor, it looks like you're yeah. going to. Well, how did that, I can't even, th- this is incredible. How did that make you feel? Um, I, I felt dreadful. I started questioning myself whether or not I was a sinner. Um, but, uh... 
did anybody... Thought, you know, did... What, what gives him the right? What gives him Ooh. the right to call me a sinner? Just, what, did anybody step in and say, uh, oi, back off, fella, yeah, jog on? Yeah, a couple of people, and, um, you know, so my father wasn't too far away, and he came along and, and um, ushered the bloke away, but he just didn't stop. And, um, incredible. The unfortunate thing was, was I was trying to do some business in the bank that wasn't accessible at the time, and um, uh, so I had, to, I had to endure that while I was talking to, to the bank teller. Um, you know, the whole incident was was probably about 20 minutes long. Jeez. And um, on a busy Saturday, Saturday morning, yeah. You can, so you, you do that, you sort the stuff out of the bank, you go home, have a cup of tea. Yeah. How do you feel then when you get home and shut the door? I never left the house for eight months. Really? Yeah. I was, it made me very, very, you know, sort of uh, conscious of my disability. Um, you know, um, to be honest, I'm over it now, but um, it very, made, made me very self-conscious, made me... Um, you know, sort of a little bit agoraphobic, I suppose, and um, frightened that people were just going to stare at me all the time, and I felt like that for, you know, I probably still feel like that a little bit now, that people do stare at people with disabilities, and, you know, um, they don't realise they're doing it, but, um, you know, it just, uh, that incident has stuck with me. Did you report it to the police? No. Why not? Um, I, I thought they'd laugh at me, to be honest. Really? Yeah. So, um, you, I think we've all... All incidents like that, really, that you would, um, you know, you, you, you just, I don't know, you put it down to experience, I suppose, and, and um, what don't kill you, make you strong, makes you stronger, so to speak. But this helpline that's being set up today, if this helpline had been around mm. when this nutter had had a go at you, would you have been tempted to phone the helpline, do you think? Quite possibly. Um, uh, probably, yeah. I think, um, you know, sort of phoning the police and things like that, I suppose, you know, you... Exp- you think that someone's going to laugh at you. You think that it's not going to be taken serious. Whereas, you know, sort of this is, uh, from what I gather anyway, that it's supposed to be independent. So, you know, you'll get independent advice on what to do and support as well. And, the, you know, sort of real advice, I suppose. So the likelihood is it's like, you know, do you ring the Samaritans or do you ring the police or something like that? Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, sort of along the, along the lines of, the Samaritans, I suppose, and you, you've got real advice. Well, I would, I would suggest this is slightly more um, uh, fitting than the Samaritans, because I know the Samaritans are not allowed to give advice. They're just there to kind of listen and be yeah, exactly. a pair of ears, whereas this sounds a little bit more practical. Have you spoken to the police about any of this before, or, or do you just think they'll laugh at you? Um, I have spoken to the police um, about it since, um, or, or different incidents since, and um, no, they haven't laughed at me. Um, you know, they've, they've been supportive. And Can I ask what the other incident was? Um, I've had a couple of incidents where, you know, sort of, uh, um, people have abused me. Because you know, you're in a wheelchair? Because I'm, well, I'm, I'm quite a young bloke. So, um, pulling up in a, you know, a little red sports car into a disabled parking bay and things like that. Yeah. You know, you, you, I've had, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, you can't park there, you can't park there. Oh. And, um, because I don't have my badge up all the time. Yeah. So I put the badge up and I get my wheelchair out of the car and, you know, um, they tend to shut up. But, um, it's things like that. I mean, And the police were okay when you've spoken to them about this, were they? Well, they've said, you know, sort of obviously, you know, they gave me the advice of putting the badge up. Um, you know, putting the badge up earlier. Trevor, or, Trevor, I've got to be honest, you sound like a right troublemaker, you do. I do. do you I? do sound like a troublemaker. <laughs> For goodness sakes. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, the, a horrible, horrible example and, um... Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it. No problem at all. Cheers, Trevor. Thank you very much. I, Trevor. I hope people who use the, the phone line and I hope people that realise, you know, sort of, it, it doesn't matter how big or small it is, you know, just phone up, get some advice.
No one deserves that. No one deserves that. Trevor, thank you very much. Not his real name. Well, later on, we'll be hearing from Rose Simpkins from Stop Hate UK. Have you had something similar happen to you? I I always find these stories shocking. They happen, but I find them incredible. A preacher went up to him in the street and shouted at him in his face that he was a sinner because he's in a wheelchair. And that's the latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Catherine, yeah. I'm struggling with my eldest. Oh. Road, well, no, steady. Road safety. <laughs> he, gets, yes. he, he runs into the road because, as he says, I'm Superman, Daddy, and Superman doesn't need to stop for cars. OK, well, maybe he needs to help you across the road because you're older. Oh, hang on, that's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It, well, is that what you did with your girls? Because you're ancient, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a lot younger than you, look. Get out of it. Call 08459 Four-double-five-five-double-five. And sugary drinks should be subject to a new tax, which could add 20 pence a litre to their price. Apparently, the money could be used to help improve children's health and well-being. Huh? We'll find out why in about 20 minutes. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Oh, Pam in Sunderland Park. We'll speak to you in a second. She's got tips on how I can get my boy across the road. Oh, she's reading The Who are back together. Do like a bit of The Who. They're touring Quadrophenia. Not one of my favourite albums, but still, it might be worth... Uh, you never, you never know how long they're going to be around for, do you? You never know. You see, you never know. Um, 08459 455 555. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. The three-year-old is bonkers. Uh, and we're struggling with the road safety thing. He just won't get it. And he keeps running off onto the road. And if there's only one of us and we're pushing the buggy and he runs off and he won't stop, what do we do? Uh, Pam. Morning, Pam. Good morning. What, what do I do with my boy to stop him getting knocked down by a bus? Put reins on him. Excuse me? Put reins on him, put a pair of reins on him, explain to him that he is not to run away and they're going to stay on until he learns to do as he's told and mean it and teach him that no means no. Do you still get those reins? Because I used to have those when I was a little boy. Yep, I bought some for my little granddaughter who's a year old and that's all ready for when she walks by the side of a pushchair. Hey, the great thing about those, and I'm not condoning this, I'm not saying you should do it, but it's fun, is I remember wearing the reins and my mum used to spin me round with them. Yes, great. Great, look what a lot of fun. Great. Make, make it a lot of fun for the child. Yes. And you explain it and you mean what you say to the child. You teach that no means no, so they learn to do as they're told. Is that the thing is, he's so, he's so strong, Pam. If I'm pushing the buggy and I've got him in the other hand, I'm, I'm worried that that's not going to be enough, that he's going to run off. He's going to be able to pull himself away. He can't if you've got reins on him. And who's the adult? You are the child. Sometimes, Pam, I ask myself that question. Right. <laughs> That's what you've got to teach the child, that you are the adult and they're to do as they're told, not as they like. Otherwise, how the hell are they going to learn? Pam, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Helen Milton Keynes has, uh, has texted in 81333, starting her text, 3CR, and with her name. My bro- What? My brother used to stand in the middle of the road playing policeman, directing the traffic in London. Oh, my goodness. Imagine you just, you, you, you turn for a second, you look back, and your little boy's in the middle of the road being a policeman. 
Mum tried everything to get him to stop. When a neighbour brought him home, Mum told him in very clear terms what would happen if he got squashed by a car or a lorry and how we would be very sad if this happened. He got their message. The thing is, at three, they don't have a concept of real pain. The worst pain he's ever felt is when he fell over yesterday and grazed his knee. He doesn't have a concept of real pain, of hospital pain, or death. So you can't say, oh, if you get knocked down by a bus, you'll die, because that, that's meaningless to him. So I'm not sure if that would necessarily work. Thank you, Helen. 08459 555555. We need, this generation needs an Alvin Stardust or a Green Cross Codeman or a Rolf Harris. No, not Rolf Harris. He was the swimming video, wasn't he? Yes. He was the one where he was in the swimming pool. We need someone like that. Not some cockney flipping hedgehog. Seriously, the best video we could find on YouTube um, when we typed in road safety was two cockney hedgehogs. Oh, I don't want to cross the road there. You'll get knocked down, mate. I don't want my boy watching Cockneys. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, what am I talking about? You'll need ingredients: malt extract, malt, hops, yeast, water, some equipment, a bucket, thermometer, and a demi jar. Yeah, and it's a demi jar. I think I may have just made that word up. And patience. What am I talking about? Well, you could be among the thousands of sad people. No, sorry, hang on. You could be among the thousands of people across the country who are now brewing their own beer. Phil Lowry, com- columnist for the Campaign for Real Ales Beer magazine, says it's increasing in popularity. He reckons that at least 15,000 people are now making their own beer. Well, we'll speak to him in about an hour and find out just how disgusting that beer is. But first, our boozy correspondent, Victoria Cook, went to meet local home brewing enthusiast Ricky Clark in Dunstable. He welcomed her in by, yeah, get this, he asked her to sterilise his buckets. It's not a euphemism, it's actually got something to do do with home brewing. So let me see, this is the um, tin of beers. Geordie Yorkshire Bitter. That's it, yeah. It says it makes 40 pints, 23 litres, beer making kit. It's really heavy. Well, yeah, because that's the beer in there. I'll show you, when I take the top off, take the needle. I'm really interested to see what this looks like. Oh, it's like syrup, brown syrup. Yeah. Can I smell it? Yeah, you can smell it. Oh, Tasty, right? do you want to taste a little bit? Yeah, okay. Just the only on your finger. Mm, it's like, it's malty. Oh, a weird taste. So then I'll put that in there. <laughs> it doesn't want to come out of the tin. Well, it will, though. What's coming out into the bucket is like a, a dark brown syrup. Really, That's it, it, yeah. And I'm going to put sugar in there in a minute. So, so we add to this sugar and water. That's it, yeah. Once all the sugar is dissolved, then you put the cold water in there. What I'll do now, I'm going to get sugar, one kilo. Oh, good night. Anyway. sugar gone in. Now, see those brown sticks over there? Yeah. We'll be the largest one I set you. Now, what so I do now, I'm going to pour that hot water into there. So, we're going to dissolve the sugar. Yeah. And that's gone in with the, the beer ingredients. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah. already we've been brewing for about five minutes and the whole kitchen's been taken over. With <laughs> I've only got a small kitchen. Pots and pans and spoons yeah. and barrels. Yeah, what do we have? You can smell that malty smell coming up now. Yeah, it's lovely. I want to put a bit more hot water in there. I can't believe how straightforward it is. Yeah, it is. It's easy, really. Stir that round again. And what we do then... There's a little the sachet of, of yeast. And cut the lid off. So what I do now, put the lid on. Push it back in its corner. So how long will the ingredients sit in that bucket for? Well, until it's brewed, really. Generally about five to seven days. 
So you can enjoy this in at least six months' time, but you probably leave it a bit longer. Well, yeah, because then I've got, I've got other beer in front of it. Yeah. This has got to take its time before it gets drunk. <laughs> it's got to wait its turn. Yeah, it's got to wait its turn. So yeah. I've got to come back in five now, did years. You, did you want to try a bit of that? So now yeah. the moment of truth, definitely, is to try yeah, some of your homemade you beer. Like and as I say, this is one that you made earlier. Well, I made this 10th for the 3rd 09. So it's nearly four years old. Let yeah. me smell. You may, you may not like it. It has got a unique smell, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How strong do we think this is? I'd say it's about four and a half, four percent. And you know what it is, a little sip. Whoa. It's very earthy. <laughs> it's got like a an aftertaste as well. It's kind yeah. of, it feels very Christmassy. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> do you know what? It tastes quite boozy, actually, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strong. It is, isn't it? So you can see with the cans here. I have cans in the fridge. What I do, I mix the can with it. So you'll actually dilute that. Yeah, one. I drink it on a Saturday night about four or five pints, and I wouldn't drink five pints of that. Because you'd be on the floor. Well, yeah, I'd be somewhere. <laughs> so it makes a lovely pint. Yeah, she's very brave, Victoria Cook, and probably very drunk uh, now. Does homebrew always taste disgusting? Do you make it? I bet there are loads of you listening who've got um, a, a barrel in your shed or in your garage. It lasts for four years? No, I can't believe that. Well, you can see a picture of Victoria with Ricky uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, or on Twitter at BBC3CR. I, I, I can get your stories on this. Isn't it more effort than, than it's worth? You can get beer so cheap now in Tesco's and Sainsbury's and, and all, the, all the supermarkets. Go and, go, go and buy some Budweiser. Oh, no, you go, go and get some Stella or something. Why, why make your own beer? Where's the benefit in that? Is it just the preserve? I'm not suggesting this is Ricky for one second, but the preserve of... My image in my head is sad old men who don't talk to their wives. Can we find some young people who do a bit of home brewing? Can we... I say young people. Can we find anybody under the, the age of 50? Yeah, I know. Who does a little bit of home brew? Morning, this is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459. Four double five five double five. Home brewing. Is it the, the reserve of just sad old men who don't speak to their wives? Can we find anybody young? Let, by young, let's start optimistically, under the age of 50, who does it. Uh, Pete's in Bedford. Pete, are you a home brewer? I am, but I'm not under 50. Can I, can I, can I hazard a guess? 67? You're a year out. <laughs> 66. 66. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm just reading about the Who getting back together, right? You're a year younger than Pete Townsend, the guitarist from the Who. That's about right. Do yeah. you reckon you could do a two-and-a-half-hour concert every night for, for six months? Well, for the money, you're pretty good yeah. for it. I think I'll, I'll give it a good For choice. the money, you'd have a good crack. Are you a home brewer, Pete? I am, yes, yeah. Well, how long have you been doing it for? Uh, since the early 70s. Why? You know they sell beer in shops now. Not for the price I can make it for, they don't. How much does, it cost, how much does a pint of beer cost you from your kit? Um... Approximately 52 pence. That's not bad. A pint. That's yeah. not bad. Um, and, and, what? and that's, uh, it, it makes a good, um, a real ale, and oh. I don't bottle it, I barrel it. Right. And, uh, so it, it, it is a, a really good real ale. And Pete, it feels, it just feels to me a little bit 1970s, a bit Abigail's party. Just, it, it, really, in 2013, do you still do this? Oh, I do very much so, yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and so do me friends and family. They, they all love it as well, yeah. Not, not making it, they love coming around and drinking it. I bet they do. What, do yeah. you put in any um, special sauce? Any secret ingredients? Uh, well, I, I have made my own beer, not using kits, you know, right. using my own ingredients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, following recipes, etc. you know. Um, which is, is great, you know. There, there's nothing wrong with it. But uh, that, 
a little bit of advertising, if I may. There's a home brew shop in Bedford, in yeah. Union Street, Bedford. And Steve, the fellow's name is... Steve. ...is really, really helpful. Um, There's a I'll, whole shop dedicated to it in Bedford? Yes. There, there used to be one when I started. There was one in every town, yes. at least one in every town. I remember it. Pete, listen, we've got to end it there, because I've, I've got to squeeze in this song and then Justin Dealey. Uh, Pete in Bedford, thank you very much indeed. He's been homebrewing since the 70s. It, just, it does feel a little bit Abigail's party to me. Can we find anybody under 50 who does it? I bet not. Here we go, here's something. A group of more than 60 organisations is backing a call for attacks on sugary drinks. The group includes doctors, health charities and environmental groups. A report by the charity Sustain says getting the duty at 20% per litre could raise around a billion pounds a year. It says the money should be spent on free school meals and measures to encourage children to eat fruit and vegetables. Is that how tax works? I don't think that's how tax works, is it? You say, hey, you could put some... If you put some tax on that, then that's exactly where it's going to go to. It just goes into the pot, doesn't it? Or is that me being naive? Well, our fizzy pop correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been asking people this morning what they think. Morning, Justin. You like a bit of fizzy pop, don't you? Oh, do I? I probably drink about six litres of Coke per week. Wowzers. Um, on top of that, I probably have, what... Six litres? a week. I know. I know. I've always been like that. <laughs> My teeth are going to fall out, aren't they? Uh, plus, I probably drink about three, four, sometimes five cups of coffee or tea per day with three sugars a go. You're mental. Uh, do you know what the best? I tell you what the best fizzy drink is in the world, and sure. no one drinks it in this country. Cream soda. Cream soda. Cream. I haven't had that for years. I, I don't drink. And on the day we got married, um, the uh, we had a chauffeur to take us from the church to the reception, and the chauffeur got out and he had two glasses of champagne. Yeah. And I said, "Oh no, I don't drink." He said, "Oh no, sir, I've been told you like cream soda." It was a glass of cream soda. <laughs> oh, it was oh, good. It made your day. It did. But uh, do you know what? This morning, in I'll be honest with you, I thought people wouldn't care about this story whatsoever. I was wrong. So many views have come in since six a.m. this morning. Here's just some of them. Take a listen to this. Martin, you think this is an excellent idea. Can you tell us why? Because, as far as I'm concerned, this is adding to obesity, it's adding to national health costs. A lot of people are making a lot of money out of actually pushing people into... It's almost... It's not quite as bad as drug dealing, Mm. but these, these products aren't good for people. And if it shows a decline in the market in the same way cigarettes do, I think it's a great idea. you think it's that bad, you would actually compare it to drug dealing? I would, yes, because uh, you've only got to see the rise of obesity in the UK over the last 20 years. And I think fizzy drinks is directly part of it. You, you can look at dental work, how teeth decay, teeth decaying, leading to heart disease. Got a bit of a thing about yeah. it, as you can yeah, tell. I can tell. <laughs> so, you disagree with, with any form of tax on sugary drinks. Can you tell us why? Uh, people should be able to make their own minds up with tax enough as it is. Okay, Steve, um, your thoughts on any sort of new tax when it comes to sugary drinks? Um, you're not happy about that, are you? No. If they want to get money back, stop all this MP's expenses. They want to get money back. Instead of worrying about silly little things like taxes on this, that and the other, it's all a big joke, a whole lot, when it comes to government. Sorry, that's all I've got to say about I mean, about you're allowed your opinion. I mean, w- w- would you say, though, that by having further taxes on sugary drinks might help child obesity in this country? No. Like, that's down to parents. And I, th- I actually think they exaggerate over obesity anyway. And just lastly, madam, your thoughts on this. Um, this new tax, if it was to come in, do you think it would work? No, I don't believe it will work, no. Because I don't think it will help with the obesity issue. Um, I think more needs to be done. I think schools need to bring in more sports and there needs to be more activities outside of schools and stuff like sports and stuff. So regardless of the price, people will still go out and buy? 
yeah, if people want to drink fizzy drinks and sugary drinks, then they will go out and buy a fizzy drink. So. And what about yourself? Do you, do you like sugary drinks? No, I'm not a big fan of them at all. So. I'm always, that's quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't like the fizziness and like the, the back of my mouth. I know it's a bit weird, but... <laughs> You're too healthy, really, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Justin, do you like the fizziness, the, the kind of fizzy explosion in the back of your mouth? <laughs> it's an interesting comment. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, which is why I probably drink six litres of Coke per week. Um, always loved it, but some interesting views there. I think a lot of people would say, if you put the price up anyway, would it make any difference? Probably not. If you look at cigarettes, they go up every single year, and people continue to go out and buy. If people like something, they will find the money to buy it. If I have some fizzy pop around the house, uh, fizzy drinks, they look exciting to children because they're, they're mysterious colours and they fizz and they pop. Mm. And my little boy says, oh, Daddy, can I have some of that? Oh, you wouldn't like it. It's Daddy's <laughs> medicine. And as soon as you drop the M word in there, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm not yeah, any of that. It's Daddy's that. medicine. Do you want some? No, thanks, Daddy. Do you know what? When I was younger, I used to go to some outrageous children's parties uh, and there was Coca-Cola everywhere and the kids, including myself, were just bouncing off the ceilings. Great times, Ian. Great times. It is fun. If you're, a, if you're an auntie or an uncle, one of the best things you can do is fill uh, the kids up with uh, sweeties and fizzy pop, shake them for a bit, and then say, bye! <laughs> I'm off! See you later. Justin, Ta-da. thank you very much indeed. Excellent stuff indeed. 08459 455 555. Would you like to see an increased tax on fizzy pops? I don't think you can. I don't think you can say, yeah, and the money that comes from that could go to encouraging children to eat fruit and vegetables. I don't think it works like that. That's not how tax works, is it? You can't be that specific and prescriptive of where the money goes. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. It's not a big part of my life. I could quite happily live with an increase um, on the fizzy drinks. What do you think? Would it, would it ruin things? Would it change things adversely? And also, speaking of children, young people, I'm struggling getting my boy to cross the road safely. Any tips? I don't think the reins that were suggested earlier would necessarily work. Have you done it? How did you do it? How did you, how did you get a three-year-old to understand, hey, if you run into the road, a bus will hit you? BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Help. You're from <laughs> Oop North. Yeah. All your men must um, make their own beer. My men. Well, you're, you're, you're kind, your sort. Um, well, no. Really? I thought they were all at it in their sheds. <laughs> or are they at something else? Yeah, that's the pigeons. Ah. The pigeons. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You missed the first hour. It was pretty It was pretty darn good. I think we can do better, and that's what I'm going to aim to do. But don't hold me to it. I, I can't promise anything. Coming up in the next hour, a million pounds has already been spent fighting plans for a rail freight terminal in Hertfordshire. Now St Albans Council wants to go to the High Court. Well, MP Anne Maines against the proposals. She's on the show next. Have you ever been the victim of a hate crime? A phone line is being launched to help people who've suffered. We'll tell you what happened when one Luton man called up to get advice. And can I find anybody young who brews their own beer? When I say young, I mean under the age of 50. It's just for sad old men who don't speak to their wives, isn't it? Well, apparently, it's increasing in popularity. You'll find out why in a little bit. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text. If you do send a text, include your name. Otherwise, I won't read it. 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and look, the phones are completely free. Now's the, the best time to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
A Hertfordshire council, which has already spent a million pounds fighting against a proposed rail freight terminal, is now looking to challenge the government in the High Court. St Albans Council is opposing the plans which are on Greenbelt land on the former Radlett aerodrome site. The MP for St Albans has secured a debate in Westminster on the issue this morning. Anne Main has previously described the decision by the Secretary of State to approve the development as a mindless act of vandalism. Well, she joins me now. Morning, Anne. Good morning, Ian. Now, listen, I know that we're confined slightly because of legal challenges and, and what have you, but mm-hmm. w- w- what can you talk about? Where, where exactly is your protest now? Well, because we have got the legal challenge um, and it's only a minded to decision, which means it's not firm yet, my debate today is probing whether or not we've had a shift away from protection of the green belt. Um, there's been various pronouncements in different uh, uh, decisions where they've said, no, the green belt's more important than having a rail freight here. And in fact, that's been said three times. But suddenly, we've got this shift to, but we're going to grant it. So I want to see if somehow maybe the Treasury's desire to build HS2 is another example of this, means that we are now not as robust in our approach to the green belt. And that's going to be the thrust of my debate today. I'm going to push the minister. It's no good saying they protect the green belt and then granting uh, 300 acres of it to go under concrete. Well, the co- coalition statement uh, a few weeks ago said uh, that, the, that one of their aims was to uh, protect and maintain the Greenbelt. But we are hearing examples of councils building homes on Greenbelt. So it looks like that, that ruling is a little bit flexible. Well, uh, let's put it this way. There's always been some development allowed on Greenbelt, but when we were in opposition, and I'm going to say this today, numerous uh, prominent figures within uh, our shadow government were saying, we can't trust the, this government on the Greenbelt, they're trashing it, they're building on it. Well, where are we on it? And that is the important thing. The public have got to trust politicians. Whatever, however they vote, they've got to know what we stand for. Greenbelt policy has a strong protection in law. Are we abandoning it? Are we softening it? Are we relaxing it? That's what I want to probe today. The Minister, I'm afraid, will uh, not have anywhere to uh, crawl in the corner on this one. I'm going to hit him hard with his own comments. Oh, are you going to be feisty, Anne? Um, I think uh, um, accusations of uh, potential hypocrisy may be coming to mind. Oh, I should be looking out for this later on. It, I, I, the, the ruling is, isn't it, exceptional circumstances. That's, that's when things can be built on Greenland. And I guess that some people could argue that this, um, uh, this uh, freight train thing is an exceptional circumstance. Uh, well, funnily enough, in every, in every conclusion previously, in 2008 and 2010, the Secretaries of State at the time uh, said that there was huge weight put to having strategic welfare infotangers, but they hadn't proven that they couldn't put them elsewhere. Now, some of our listeners may be aware that Luton has actually put in its own strategic plan that they would quite like to consider a rail freight terminus at Sundon Quarry. Another potential place is Colnbrook. The whole point is, is you have to show, if you're going to do exceptional harm, and this is like a Daventry, you have to show that you couldn't put it somewhere else. And I don't ever believe that's been shown. It just suddenly looks as if this might be a shovel-ready site, as the, as the phrase goes, although, although you know it'll be years down the line. It's been in the planning system for a very long time, overturned for very good reasons. I don't believe there's anything in any of the decisions that show an exceptional case has been made. It's no good just saying we want one, that's a good enough reason. You've got to prove it, and I don't believe we have. And you support St Albans District Council potentially spending even more taxpayers' money to challenge it. I, I think it's, it's about a million pounds already, so it, it's just going to keep going, isn't it? Yeah, um, the thing is, I think we have to sort of be quite careful about what they're spending money on. The, the Secretary of State, um, Mr Eric Pickles, had said 
that's what I was saying about the other side, had said that we should have a conjoined inquiry. We were all asked, did we want a conjoined inquiry? Uh, us on Colnbrook, which is near Slough, and the council had suggested that, and the Secretary of State said in his response he was going ahead with a conjoined inquiry because it would be incomprehensible not to do so, that there was interrelated issues. All of a sudden, we don't have one. That's what the challenge is on. What happened? What happened behind the scenes that we didn't have the conjoined inquiry that he agreed to give to us? So I don't think this is going to be a big legal challenge, unlike all the previous decisions which have been exploring whether or not we should have the planning at all. This challenge is because you can't challenge on a minded to decision. The only decision we've had is not to have a conjoined inquiry and nobody's told us why. And stay there. Keep listening because I want to speak now to uh, Stephen Joseph from the Campaign for Better Transport. Morning Stephen. Good morning. Now the Campaign for Better Transport supports the idea of putting more freight onto our railways. What are the benefits in your view? Well, the benefits from having more freight on the railways is is that we get uh, less congested roads, and that we um, uh, and that uh, we have some uh, better economic um, uh, 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 and that the economy improves, um, and that you get less pollution from road traffic, and and those are large benefits. Um, the problem here, and I, I very much agree um, uh, with, with Anne, is that the the government's made a complete mess of, the, of this particular proposal. We do need to have some rail freight terminals because otherwise the freight can't get off the railways and onto the roads but um, the government has has flip-flopped all over the place on, on this particular proposal and it's not just caused problems uh, uh, for, for Radley, it's caused problems across the country because um, there are a number of places which really quite wanted rail freight terminals and the um, investors in those have kind of said well you know, what's going on here, the government doesn't seem to have any kind of commitment or any policy. Will the government, do they seriously listen to, to campaigns and, and local residents like this? They, they, well, the problem here is that they've been um, listening um, partially and to different parts of the, uh, of the community in different places and to industry. And I agree with Anne that the, the government has sort of started out by saying it was in favour of protecting the green belt, and then it decided that gr- it was gross at any cost. And um, then it, uh, it went, as Anne said, for an inquiry jointly with Slough, and then it decided it wouldn't. And uh, really, there's been, there's no, uh, we're also um, have been promised for some years a national policy statement on road and rail uh, policy, um, which would have given some kind of uh, uh, strategic framework to decisions like this, instead of which we're left with individual decisions on individual sites. So um, I've got a lot of sympathy um, uh, uh, with Anne and uh, the local residents because uh, they, they've got no framework. And I think uh, if you ask the people promoting this and other rail freight terminals, they say, well, we don't know what's going on because um, we get completely contradictory decisions. It sounds like a mess, then. It is a complete mess. And I think the problem is that the government's now left itself open to judicial review, whatever it does, because it, it's gone, it's said so many different things. And what happens now for you? So today you're going to go and, and you're, you're sounding angry. I'd hate to be at the end of your tongue lashing. What, what, what happens after this? Well, I'm also putting in for a backbench business debate, which means I might get several hours in the House to discuss, again, the impact of planning decisions on communities. Again, I cannot, because of maybe judicial challenges, be yes. talking about our site only. But, you know, again, I say HS2. Again, economic imperative. Are we, are we deciding our transport and rail policies based on where's the best routes and, and the need to get transport flowing properly? And I completely agree with your former uh, contributor to this programme. We do need to get freight off the road. 
But we don't need to compromise, as I believe this will do, passenger services. We're going to have 10 years of interruptions. I'm going to keep exploring every avenue uh, open to me to probe this decision and this, this as, as Guy said, a mess, um, until we get a firm decision on Radlett. OK, we have to end it there. And Main MP, thank you very much. Stephen Joseph from the Campaign for Better Transport, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. She's angry, isn't she? Ooh. I don't want to be the fellow she's having to go out today. Thank you very much for that. Homebrew, I've been asking, can we find somebody under the age of 50 that does it? It's a lonely old man's hobby, isn't it? It's a sad old man's hobby. Dave, are you a sad old man? Uh, well, if you'd call 39 a sad old man, then yeah, I guess I am. Do you know what? I'm 39, Dave, and yeah, I probably would, actually. <laughs> are, you, are you 40? Are you turning 40 this year? I am indeed in July, yeah. Oh, I'm so. in June. I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it! No, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Okay, well, so you, why, why, how long have you been brewing your own beer? Uh, seven or eight years now. But why would you do that? You can buy really cheap beer in supermarkets, David. Yeah, I know, but not only that, you can get, you can make of beer that you can't necessarily get here in the UK. For example, I went to America on a business trip um, this time last year and some of the uh, West Coast beers yeah. you can't get over here. So, you know, if you can get a recipe that's close to it, then you can get a beer that's, you know, fairly close to what you were drinking over there as opposed to the dull, some of the dull dishwater that you can get over here. Do you, what do you do? In the kitchen, in the garage, in the shed? Where's your, where's your setup? Uh, in the garage. Right, and how, and how much beer do you make a year? <sighs> well, uh, as a quick aside, I've currently got probably over 300 bottles worth of <laughs> wine um, <laughs> as well on the go. Has your so. wine ever blown up? No. Oh, OK, OK. My old no. man's did. And uh, uh, can I ask, David, it's a personal question, don't have to answer if you don't want to. Are you married? Do you have a partner? I am, yeah. I've been married for 11 years. And what does she, what does she think? She actually quite likes it. She's a uh, ex-uni girl, so oh. um, she's obviously graduated in the real ale school anyway. She's so, a boozy um, old lush. Yeah, as long as I make beer that she likes, then I kind of get away with You're it. You're in there. David, thank you very much. Dave, uh, who's near Hitchin there. Sue has sent in an excellent email. An excellent email on road safety. I'm struggling with my boy. Um, he's three, he won't cross the road, so he just runs into the road and it's going to end in, in tears, ours probably. Uh, and his, his reason for not stopping is, Daddy, I am Superman, I don't need to stop. Yeah, right, okay. Sue has sent in a genius email, this could be it. Our son was like yours when he was three, perhaps you could do what we did and appeal to his superpowers. Yeah, I'm in. We found a soft doll that his sister had that he liked to hold when they played together. We told him that this doll wanted to go out with us and that he had to help it across the road as it needed a superhero like him to keep it safe. It worked and he never ran across the road again. That's genius, isn't it? That is genius. Sue, I'm trying that. I shall try that this week and let you know how we get on. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Any other tips? 08459 455 555. Or text with your name, please. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Now, this story, when I heard this, I, I, I didn't believe it. I find this incredible. Have you been spat at in the street because you're disabled? Or accused of being a scrounger because you're in a wheelchair? Well, these are just two examples of hate crime which have happened in the three counties. We had a, a, a guy on earlier on. We, we called him Trevor. Who, who said that he was in his wheelchair, he's a young fella, in his wheelchair, and there was a preacher in the square and started shouting at him, he was a sinner, screaming in his face. That's insane, isn't it? 
Well, hate crime is on the increase in the three counties. There were over 1,200 reported incidents in beds, hearts and bucks last year. Well, today, Buckinghamshire County Council will promote a helpline to support victims. It's called the Stop Hate Line, and it's being partly funded by the council. David in Luton has experienced hate crime. This is an example of what happens when you call the phone line. I have to say that we have been given permission to play this. Normally, this is all strictly entre nous. It's uh, anonymous if you want it to be in top secret. But we have been given permission to play uh, David's call. Hello, David. You've come through to Stop Hate Line. Could I ask what's caused you to call the helpline today and the sort of things that have been happening to you? Well, two years ago, I, I use a mobility scooter, which I hire from a voluntary body in Luton. And I was on the scooter. I was just minding my own business, going along. Uh, there were a number of young Per people, okay. um, two of them with push chairs, and they just stopped and refused to let me go. So I stopped, and the next thing is, I said, "Please let me go," and the two of them decided to spit at me. Have you told anybody that this had happened before? It's only happened the once yeah. that I've been spat at. I did report it to Bedfordshire Police, okay. but unfortunately, nothing became of that. Right, we are. We'll take some more details, David, and we will try and help you and make sure that somebody can assist you. And just to reiterate, David's story took place two years ago. Stop Hate UK, and David agreed we could record that for you to demonstrate how the helpline works. If you were to call it, uh, you know, it's, it's strictly between you and the person you're speaking to, if you want that to be the case. Well, Rose Simpkins is the chief executive of Stop Hate UK, the charity behind the helpline. I'm amazed by these stories, Rose. I know, it's, it's still beyond belief. How Martin, common is this? That, 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 how common is this that people in wheelchairs and, and various other situations are being abused like that? The pro- part of the problem is we don't know how common it is because people tell us, tell lots of stories, but what's happening is people are not reporting. And what we're wanting to do is to increase the levels of, of actual reports that come through, and this is part of a, a government um, priority as well, so that we have a full picture of what's happening across um, across the hate, what are known as the hate crime strands, which are disability, gender identity, race. And so you religion, cover all of those. Sexual orientation. You cover all yeah, of those on this line. Yes, yeah, anything that is, motiv- any incident that uh, is, someone thinks is motivated by some aspect of their personal identity um, so it'd be all those things but it would also be things around um, alternative subcultures like goths many other things that people believe is part of who they are and explain exactly what this what this line is is it a reporting service is it a counseling service what 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 exactly do you do what's your aim well, it's a mixture of all those things. Um, I mean, it, it is what's known as a third-party reporting service, which, where you can uh, go to someone other than the police. And it was, it was one of the outcomes of the inquiry into the death of Stephen Lawrence, that people should have somewhere other than the police to go. But people... Reporting is a really hard thing for people to do. So what we have is more of a conversational approach with people. And... We have people come on who can barely breathe. They're so distressed by what's happened to them. So often what we're having is a, is a conversation about what's happened, what they would like to see next, what sort of support they, 
they would like. So we're dealing with their... So it is a sort of support and counselling and reporting process all in, in, in one, really. We're, we're trying to deal with their needs at the point of, of that call or email chat, um, online chat, and then working out, like, do we need to get the police involved? Is it the local authority? Is it a voluntary sector organisation? Who needs to be involved to get them a good outcome um, so that they feel better and hopefully perpetrators are brought to justice. Now, various councils have been very supportive of this. Hertfordshire haven't. Why is that? Many areas have their own systems and uh, the stop hate line is only one way of dealing with that. Obviously, we think it's, it's the best way. Um, but um, lots of areas have, have, have introduced other ways of dealing with things. But the stop hate line is unique in this. It is, it is 24 hours where within four rings of the phone, you will speak to somebody. And uh, we also have, um, say, text reporting, email reporting, chatting online, as well as an online form. So it, it, it's unique in its 24-hour nature. It's, it's an approach to, um, to victims and also just the many ways that you can contact us. And we use branding now that is available in lots of different parts of the country. So because most people don't really know what hate crime is even when they're experiencing it on a regular basis they don't know that anybody cares and they don't know how to report it so the branding that we uh, we use um is is ho- hopefully making more people aware of that and so we've been working in bedfordshire now to be our third year in bedfordshire um so the the partnership between buckinghamshire and bedfordshire is, is really really important because people move around and uh, so as you move from one area to the other uh, you'll s- still see the same message around hate crime and and what we hope is that, that more people will then become aware that someone will do something about it and also it's a message to perpetrators that they won't get away with it uh, and to finally what, what does the council do do they fund it do they promote it what's what's their involvement <laughs> It's, it, they fund it. I mean, the police are part funding it and the local authorities are funding the rest. Um, what we do is we make um, promotional material available electronically or pe- they can, you know, spend a little bit more money and buy some stuff from us. Uh, but basically what we're doing is making it cheap and easy to get the message out there. So the, the responsibility for promotion is promoting it is local uh, we're just giving all the accessories that are needed to make that possible okay rose we have to end it there thank you very much rose simpkins uh from the um stop hate uh uk the charity behind the helpline and uh, in an hour we'll be speaking to hugh matthews from thames valley police about the number of hate crimes reported in buckinghamshire Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I don't get this home brewing thing. You can buy beer really cheaply. The fella on the line earlier said it cost him about 50 pence a pint. You can buy beer... I don't know, I don't drink, but you can buy beer cheaper than that in, in supermarkets, can't you? I think. Uh, David in Marsh Farm, homebrew, but doing it from the 60s. Got a 15 litre of sherry brewing kit from Bedford going now. <laughs> a red wine kit costs £8 from Wilkinson, makes 570cl bottles and it's great. But the, it just tastes of 
you don't add anything to it, do you? It's just a kit, so everything's in there. So you're not making it from scratch. Claire? Claire? I'm assuming that's a lady, Claire. Been a home brewer for 30 years. I'm under 50. Brew for my husband and friends. Claire? Lady Claire? Joe's in Letchworth. Morning, Joe. Hello. Now, listen, you? I'm, you're, I'm a reg- you're a regular caller, Joe. You, you'll speak sense. This is all nonsense, isn't it? Oh, Ian, you're so wrong. Oh, this is Joe. one of my absolute favourite subjects. You, there is so much variety now compared to what it used to be in the 70s, when it used to taste like tap water. Since then, we've got... I mean, I mean, I pick my own berries to make my own brew, so, it, you know, it always comes out lovely. We've got Ooh. cherries, strawberries... Oh, dear. At, on, on, Ian, you, bear with me, right? Um, you can make yeah. fantastic wines and fantastic beers out of just about anything. And I'll tell you the, what the secret is. Yeah. There's... You can actually buy uh, ingredients straight from the, uh, from the producers, wine producers, beer producers. So now you get quality yeasts, you get quality malts, you get quality grape juices. Ian, you, you are missing out. Well, on no, so why much, don't you I just go to, 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 like, Sainsbury's or, or Waitrose or Tesco's and just buy some of their cheap booze there? Because, well, you, you can, but yeah. it's all... It's, 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 that's why they call it the art of brewing, because it's... The art. It's enjoyable. It's the a, art of getting booze up, more like... It's it's um, it's a really enjoyable way of using a little bit of science, a little bit of art to produce something. <laughs> sorry, Joe. Sorry, there must be. Hang on a minute. There must be something wrong with this. I thought for a second you said that b- brewing beer involved a little bit of art and a little bit of science. It does. Oh my word, Joe! I've gone right off you. Oh um, look, look, look! Cream soda. Yeah. That only tastes good when it's on ice cream and ice cream float, but it's it's. it's it tastes good, it tastes good. Cream soda tastes good anywhere, Joe. It's, it's God's gift to the taste palate. <laughs> oh, Joe, have you got a missus? I have, yes, and I've blown beer, I've blown wine up in my kitchen. Sorry, I <laughs> wonder where that was going. Uh, did what, they all, they all went off, did they? I was making a very thick, um, porty wine, so I left some blackberries <laughs> and some elderberries in the demijohn, just, yes. just to give it that extra sort of tang. Yes. And, um, my lodger came home one day, and said there was, I got a phone call. Six hours later, there was basically blackberries and elderberries all over my ceiling, my sofa, my well, TV. It serves you right for messing with the dark arts, Joe. Really. The more I hear about this, the more I'm beginning to think this is the, 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 there's something sad about this. Joe, listen, you, I love you. You call regularly and you're always a great contributor to the show. But really, homebrew? I'm not convinced. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Does homebrew always taste disgusting? Am I being biased? Am I committing a hate crime by saying that apparently everyone who does it is a little bit sad, aren't they? Aren't they? Really? Am I giving them a hard time? The hobby is increasing in popularity. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, has been to meet homebrewing, a homebrewing enthusiast from Dunstable to find out why he enjoys making his own beer so much. Hear more later. And uh, I've got a three-year-old boy. I'm having such problems getting him to cross the road safely. He has no fear. And he thinks... This is his, his, his reasoning, OK? Why do you run, run into the road like that? I'm Superman, Daddy, and uh, Superman doesn't need to stop for cars. First of all... Where has he even heard of Superman? He's never seen Superman. How does he know this? And you know that when you're, ha- when you're having an argument and they say, well, I'm Superman, you know you're arguing with a, with a lunatic, someone who is actually insane. How are you going to get around that? Ophelia's in Luton. Morning, Ophelia. Morning, Ian. How are you? No, I'm, I'm frustrated. Uh, you do sound frustrated, and it's good to hear a father feeling worried, because it's usually the women that get on with it, and the men just say, oh, don't worry Hang about it. Hang on a minute. What do you mean it... 
What do you mean it's the, the, the fathers don't worry about their, their children? A lot of them don't. Really are. What are you talking it's about? A, because they see it as, oh, there's nothing to worry about. He will grow out of it. What? Hang on a minute. If he gets knocked down by a bus, he won't grow out of it. I know, but he's at that stage of his development. He's reached that stage of his development where he's discovering what is fact, yeah. what is fiction. Yeah. So they do things like they just jump off the chair, they realise they can't fly. Yeah. They try to talk to animals and realise that actually animals don't talk back. Yeah. Because they've watched a lot of films, seen books, you know, you know different things oh, they've seen books. and they're testing it out. And unfortunately, Ian, yeah. this is where you're going to have to just be a bit more proactive right. in well, what can, him near the road. What can I do? That, you just have to guide him through it. It's, and you have to keep repeating to him. When he's coming to the road, you're going to have to be aware and chase after him, get his hand, unless you're going to have one of those hand stroller things that you put on the child's hand, which I don't really like. I don't like. The thing is, I'm push, if I'm pushing the buggy, <clears throat> or if my wife is pushing the buggy, and it's just one parent out, th- th- you can't necessarily run off after him all the time. No, you can't. That is a big, big challenge. Bless those that have twins and triplets and those like you whose children are close in age. It is really a challenge, and it is about saying, look, if you do this, rewards and treats at this time as well. Rewards and treats. And, and um, as you were doing, I like that thing where you freeze, because I used to do that with children as well. Stop! They were older children. And then they're supposed to freeze. He doesn't. I like rewards and treats. That's going to be the name of my next album, I think. <laughs> it's a good name for an album. Yeah, but it's a stage. But the good thing is that... Yeah. At least you know it's because of where their mind is at yeah. that they're not understanding. It's when they reach those teenage years where they're invincible. Oh. They don't need sleep. They don't need to eat. They're they all off their face on, on drugs and pot noodles at that age, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> That's when you've got the challenge. But now he'll soon grow out of it. And it is about him learning that, you know, play the role of a policeman with him, for example. And so that you you have to be responsible. Get, get, get this, Ophelia. I had the boys. My wife went to work yesterday. I had both boys yesterday. Uh, and my son had thrown all the cushions off of the sofa to make um, uh, a den on the floor. All right, fair enough. So I'm lying on a, on a cushionless sofa. Yeah. And then he decided that a fun game to, to play would be belly flops. I renamed it Daddy Splats. Where he just literally would jump from a height and belly flop onto my stomach. <laughs> He's insane, Ophelia. I can't, there's nothing I can do with him. Again, that's the testing. They're discovering. Have they done the one where they push one nail under the other nail and put, look at your face to see your reaction to see what's your threshold of pain? No, no, he's not done that's that. Come. Oh, my that's goodness. Yeah. Ophelia, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you ever sort out your home insurance? Of course I did. Okay, all right. I did. All right. I did spoke because I did see the seriousness of it. I did it exactly that Monday. Okay. I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm going to make sure I plan ahead. For those who don't remember, months and months ago, Ophelia told me that you was it. You got broken into and you didn't have home insurance. That's right. And you were going to sort. You've sorted out. I, I tell you why. Just because it's on my mind because we're moving next week and I've got to sort out the home insurance this week. I'll, I'll do that yeah. this week. Well, good. Let's hope, Ophelia, thank you for that. Don't sound surprised that a dad is concerned about his boy. Uh, got a couple of uh, quick texts. Uh, Ian, why don't you tell your superhero son that cars and lorries are made from kryptonite? Thank you, David. Uh, and Facebook, April says, like all little people who don't believe an animal is really real until they have seen it poo, your son may need to see it with his own eyes. Troll YouTube for some incidents to show him what happens to things hit by vehicles and have a frank discussion. Oh, no. 
Plus, on the occasions I have used the stop command, it appears to really work. OK, we'll give that a go. 08459 555. Now, home brewing, it's on the rise, and there could be more than 15,000 people in the UK making their own beer. That's according to Phil Lowry, who's a home brewing expert who writes a column for St Albans-based Cameras Beer magazine. We'll speak to him in a couple of minutes. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went to meet local home brewing enthusiast Ricky Clark in Dunstable. He welcomed her in by getting her to sterilise his buckets. Oh dear, is that what I think it is? So let me see, this is the um, tin of beers. Geordie Yorkshire Bitter. That's it, yeah. It says it makes 40 pints, 23 litres, beer making kit. It's really heavy. Well, yeah, because that's the beer in there. I'll show you, when, when I take the top off, take the needle. I'm really interested to see what this looks like. Oh, it's like syrup, brown syrup. Yeah. Can I smell it? Yeah, you can smell it. Yeah. Taste Ooh, it, right? Do you want to taste a little bit? Yeah, okay. Just on the end of your finger. Mm, it's like, it's malty. Oh, a weird taste. So then I'll put that in there. <laughs> it doesn't want to come out of the tin. Well, it will, though. What's coming out into the bucket is like a, a dark brown syrup, really. That's it, yeah. It? And I'll put, I'm going to put sugar in there in a minute. So, so we add to this sugar and water. That's it, yeah. Once all the sugar is dissolved, then you put the cold water in there. Cheers, yeah. What, what I do now, then you get sugar, one kilo. Oh, good enough. Right. sugar gone in. Now... See those brown sticks over there? Yeah. Put a large one, I set you. Now, what so I do now, I'm going to pour that hot water into there. So, we're going to dissolve the sugar. Yeah. And that's gone in with the, the beer ingredients. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah. already we've been brewing for about five minutes, and the whole kitchen's been taken over with. <laughs> I've only got a small kitchen. Pots and pans and spoons yeah. and barrels. Now, what do I do here? Smell that malty smell coming up now. Yeah, it's lovely. I want to put a bit more hot water in there. I can't believe how straightforward it is. It is. It's, it's easy, really. Stir that around again. And what we do then... There's a little sachet of, of yeast. And cut the lid off. So what we do now, put the lid on. Push it back in its corner. So how long will the ingredients sit in that bucket for? Well, until it's brewed, really. Generally about five to seven days. So you can enjoy this in at least six months' time, but you'll probably leave it a bit longer. Well, yeah, because I've got other beer in front of it. Yeah. This has got to take its time before it gets drunk. <laughs> it's got to wait its turn. <laughs> yeah, it's got to wait its turn. <laughs> so yeah. I've got to come back in five now, did years. You, did you want to try a bit of that? So did now you... the moment of truth, definitely, is to try you, you, some of your homemade you, you beer. One? And as I say, this is one that you made earlier. Well, I made this 10th for the third oh nine. So it's nearly four years old. Let yeah. me smell. You may, you may not like it. It has got a unique smell, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How strong do we think this is? I'd say it's about four and a half, four percent. And you look at this little sip. Whoa. It's very earthy. <laughs> it's got like a an aftertaste as well. It's kind yeah. of it feels very Christmassy. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you know what? It tastes quite boozy actually, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strong. It is, isn't it? So you can see I've got the cans here, I've cans in the fridge, what I do, I mix the can with it. So you'll actually dilute that? Yeah, one. I drink it on a Saturday night about four or five pints, and I wouldn't drink five pints of that. Because you'd be on the floor. Well, yeah, I'd be somewhere. <laughs> so it makes a lovely pint. Well, if anybody's seen Victoria Cook since that report was filed, please, please send her uh, in our direction. Phil Lowry is the homebrewing expert who writes for Cameras magazine. Morning, Phil. Morning, Ian. How, How are did, you? Uh, yeah, I'm OK. How did you get into brewing your own beer? Um, oh, God, I grew up in a pub, basically. My mum, um, uh, My mum's Italian from a sort of... Uh, winemaking family so she very much encouraged me to sort of look at you can make this you can do this you can do that so that's how it all started and 
you know, moving. I actually lived down the road. I lived in St. Albans until I was about eight. And then we moved to Romney Marsh in Kent and the pub there and, and then been exposed to real ale uh, from an early age. You can't really avoid it. But why would you want to make it, Phil? You can buy this stuff in shops. You know that, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. You can. You can... Uh, we're in a watershed of great beer, but in the same instance, you can make great bread at home. You can you can do so many other things, and it, it, why not make it? It's it's great fun, and, and there's nothing better than giving somebody a bottle of beer and saying, "I made that," I'm, you know, or pouring a beer for somebody and saying, "I made that." It's a real buzz. So. It's becoming more popular. Why is that? I think it is. It's an extension of the foodieisms. It's an extension of slow food. Um, People want to taste something. People want provenance. People want to express themselves in in what they and and share and, and and all those sort of home style things. But equally, want full flavoured and, and and that clear provenance of something. So people want to express themselves in their own beer. Have you ever had some homemade beer though from from someone that's that's tasted a bit rotten? Because it can be tricky to get it not so it doesn't taste like vinegar. I wouldn't. Not so much. It doesn't taste like vinegar. Um, but there's certain, there's certain small off notes. Um, I mean, just just uh, anecdotally, there's two homebrewers down the road from me here. And over the course of well, the last eight, ten months, you know, I got hold of some of their beer. Somebody gave me some of their beer, and it was like, it had promise, but it just needed a few tweaks. <laughs> it and, had promise, yes. Very tactile, yeah. yes. Um, and the, but now it's, 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 it's choice drinking. It's, it's fantastic stuff. So it, it, it's having the awareness of knowing what's, what faults are there to deal with and, and moving forward on it. How expensive is it to make? Uh, God, I, it's funny, I was talking to Victoria about this yesterday, and it's very much like any sort of you know, personal pursuit, be it golf or fishing or whatever, it's how much you want to spend on it. You can start with two buckets and uh, you know, a kettle and, and things like that. It doesn't cost a lot, but as you progress, it can get quite expensive as you progress through. Um, I'm sure you might have seen the article in The Observer, they were referring to a pound a pint. I'd love to have been able to make it for a pound a pint. Um, every time you tweak something, you tinker with something, you want a new bit of kit, it, it doesn't stop there. It, it, can, it can eat into you. Phil, what I'm hearing here, what I'm hearing, is that this sounds like it's become an obsession. Oh, it's, it is an obsession for everybody. It's like a lot of the things. And I think golf and fishing, etc., have, have clear parallels. Uh, motorsport, all these things that people... Like, you know, you kiss goodbye to the garage, kiss goodbye to, you know, Saturdays in, in, in the garage making, you know, 40, 80, 100 litres of beer. And, yeah. Phil, in my head, I've got the image of, because this is what it was like in the 70s when I was growing up, uh, it's old men in their 60s with beards who don't talk to their wives making it. Is it are younger people doing no, this now? I, I think I, I, can, I can draw, and I'll agree with you, in the 70s, I can remember friends of mine dad making his boots kits in his garage and i obviously wasn't old enough to drink them so i couldn't couldn't comment but now it's 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 astounding actually having been in the beer industry all my life how much you know it's become cool i mean i i you know flattered to be friends with people like logan plant whose father is out of page and plant and he is oh. ex-home brewer now pro brewer um so you, you're talking, and it, it, well, it is apparent when you walk around um, some of the, the homebrew clubs, the homebrew scenes, we, we are, you know, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with some very, very so cool Rob, people. So Robert Plant's son? Yeah. Oh, there you well, go, Phil. Listen, we, we've got to move on, but thank you very much. Phil Lowry, homebrewing expert, writes for Cameras magazine. Interesting that he described him um, from Page and Plant. I called him from Led Zeppelin. Very cool, though. Thank you for that, Phil. Well, there we go. Can we find... I, have I got the image completely wrong? Phil has corrected me there. Have I got the image completely wrong? Do you homebrew? 
08459 455 555. I'm really keen to speak to a lady who's lost her husband to the homebrew phenomenon. You don't see your fellow at the weekends. You don't see him on a Friday night anymore because he's in the shed, tinkering away and then doing some homebrew. Thanks very much. So I've got a three-year-old son uh, and he won't cross the road safely. He just runs into the road. It's fine if it's one of us there because we can grab him and hold him. But if it's, if it's just one of us and we're pushing the baby in the buggy, it's a nightmare. He's got no fear. And when asked, well, why do you do this? I'm Superman, Dad. I don't need to stop. Right. Imagine if an adult said that and genuinely believed it. You would just think, uh-oh, I'm going to get a different bus. I need help. Well, Bill Brady is an independent road safety consultant from Bedfordshire. Morning, Bill. Good morning, Ian. I'm at my wit's end, Bill. What, what on earth do I do? It's really difficult, isn't it? Especially uh, when, uh, when they're little, because they've got no fear. No fear at he all. He doesn't know real pain. And I say, look, if you get hit by a bus, it's going to hurt. That means nothing to him. No, they don't. And unfortunately, all kids are like that. Up till about 11, they don't even realise danger and... Uh, it's really difficult to get in any anything into them at all. It's just do it, do it repetitive. When um, when I was uh, younger, I was in uh, the Royal Parks Police in London. Yeah. Um, and I used to work shifts, so between the wife and myself, we used to walk the children backwards and forwards to school, which is about uh, three miles in the morning, three miles in the afternoon. And that allowed us on every intersection to stop and say to them, right, stop, look, listen, think. Mm. Uh, and we just kept doing that. And, and when I moved up here to Bedfordshire and took over the road safety team, they had a really, really good scheme running called Stepping Out Safely. Um, and that used to be done in the schools, which was a similar thing. Um, and that was run with the cooperation of the teachers and the road safety officers went out and did it with the kids. Um, and that started the, the whole thing going. When I was asked to develop it, I, I realised that when I took the grandchildren, when they were about about that age, about three or four, used to take them down to get a newspaper and stop at every intersection, do the stop, look, listen and think. Yeah. And I thought, well, does this really work? But I remember doing it, they stayed over with us for about a week. We did it every morning. They'd not had any road safety before that. And we took them away in a, a touring caravan we had. And I looked out the window in the morning when they went out to play, and they actually stopped inside the caravan park in the little roads where the cars go up and down. Genius. Not, not really any traffic. Yeah. And they were, the, the older one especially was stopping with the little one, and they were doing all the actions before they crossed this little road Fantastic. where there was no cars. Fantastic. So the repetition of you doing it all the time kind of drilled it into them. It did. It did. And there was a little reward from it. Oh. Um, in in uh, Bedfordshire, what we did was give them a little badge called Curb... Curb we called them the Curb Kids. Oh, yeah. And we invented it into a thing called the Passport for Life. OK. And every school had to take the kids out in certain years and do a little bit, and then the next year they do a bit more, and the yeah. next year they do a bit more, and then they teach them how to come out from behind parked cars. Yeah. And that whole repetition... Um, I believe, saved many, many, many lives in Bedfordshire. Many lives. One of the, th- the problems, I think, uh, uh, Bill, is that we haven't got... I- in my day, we had Tufty, we had uh, Alvin Stardust, we had the Green Cross Code Man, we had Kevin Keegan, we had Charlie Says, all of these kind of safety films that, you know, we, we kind of laugh at now, but they made it obvious about what was dangerous. We haven't uh, got any of that now, I don't think. No, no. Th- I mean, this was the problem, I think, uh, here. Um... A good 20 years ago, you might have heard of a presenter in three counties called John Pilgrim. Oh, right. 
he actually launched with me um, the Passport for Life in Bedfordshire. Yeah. Um, and that went on, that run quite successfully for over 10 years, and it won uh, the council, the Prince Michael of Kent oh. International Road Safety Award for innovative teaching with children uh, on road safety. Unfortunately, since then, with cuts yeah. in uh, staff, cuts in resources, it only runs here and there now um, in different parts of the county. Um, it's still instilled in them. The Green Cross Code is instilled in schools, but... In the classroom, you can't do a lot. You've got to go out, and you've got to do it with them out on the road. And watching parents now, watching how they come out from behind parked cars, run across the road, not at crossings, etc., I'm really surprised hey, not he, more children are killed. Here's the thing that gets me. Some mums and dads, they use their buggy to stop the traffic. So instead of waiting at the curb, they'll push their buggy into the road so the cars have to stop. That's insane! Well, it's, we always used to say to the parents, you know, what are you doing, testing whether it's safe, you know, put the buggy out. If it gets hit, then uh, it's obviously not safe. Bill, listen, I appreciate your help. Bill Brady, independent road safety consultant from Bedfordshire. It's a worry, isn't it? Um, I, that, the repetition, I guess. I've got some uh, comments here. J- uh, Julia uh, on Facebook says, Do the old-fashioned. Stop, look, listen. We even used to sniff... Or use x-ray eyes. Well, I don't know about the x-ray eyes. The sniff, maybe. The Green Cross Code is the thing. Stop, look, listen. That's what we need to do. And we had a go at it on Sunday. Was it Sunday? Where, yeah, it was. I I, I kind of took him out and uh, I did the Green... He was being so naughty. I had him on my shoulders. uh, And I was doing the Green Cross Code and crossing the road really slowly with him on my shoulders. And then kind of putting him down and getting him to do it. And he saw... (sighs) There was some improvement... So I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's just to go out with him and spend an afternoon or a couple of afternoons going out and doing it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should have a quick look at the front pages. We've not done that yet this morning. We've crammed so much stuff in. Don't forget, I'm looking. If you are a, um, a, a homebrew widow, uh, if you've lost your husband to the homebrew phenomenon, he's always down the shed tinkering away, or he's in the garage getting his hops sorted. Then 08459 455 555. The Independent. Uh, Lawyers on the line. High-speed rail plan faces 10-year delay. Britain's HS2 high-speed rail line could be delayed for a decade as a unified coalition of Conservative councils, MPs and environmental groups threaten disruptive legal action. Oh, dear. We were talking about this yesterday, weren't we? The new £33 billion line is intended to kick-start the country's economic recovery, but Department for Transport officials now fear work may not begin until 2022... Wowzers. Uh, the Guardian. The Queen abdic- The Queen abdicates? It's not that Queen! It's Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands. Uh, and MPs threaten football with new laws to force reform. Radical proposals to overhaul the way English football is run could be backed by new legislation following a withering parliamentary report criticising the failure to introduce new financial controls and increase the influence of fans. Huh? Uh, and British troops to join French in Mali mission. Oh, dear. Number 10 insists forces will not be fighting, but can aid operation against militants. All oh, right, OK, let's get involved with another one. Shall we? Shall we? Yeah, why not? Uh, the Times. One million letters go unanswered by part-time tax officials. One million letters to the tax man were left unanswered last year. The head of HF... I've got to pay my tax! Oh, blimey. I've not got long. A couple of days. But thanks for reminding me of the Times. Tories to tell companies to reveal uh, ethnic makeup. Big companies will be urged to publish the ethnic breakdown of their workforce under Conservative proposals to help repair the party's image with black and Asian voters. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, and there's a picture of uh, Claire and Ross Simons, who were there with a couple riding a tandem that were knocked off and killed by a hit-and-run uh, car. The Daily Telegraph. Some actresses have won some things! New hopes, as doctors say, cancer can be managed. Specialists find treatments using DNA code. OK. Foreigners drive horse and cart through motoring laws. Not literally. The Daily Mail. Litter squads make millions. Fine sores. Councils enlist ex-soldiers to patrol streets. Covert patrols by former soldiers have seen litter fines soar 90-fold in 15 years. A staggering 63... Eight, 63... 1,883 tickets were issued in England last year. Did you hear me thinking how to say a big number? My brain actually froze for a second. Uh, Millions stung by new 15% tax rises. Hard-up families uh, punished again. This is the Daily Express. Millions of taxpayers are facing nearly 300 tax hikes, adding 15% to their bills, a report warned last night. And the sun, I mean, jeez. I'm so close to um, just not even looking at the sun. The Sun, Rovers Reburn, Pub Inferno, Sunita Dies. It's not a real story. It's that they're telling us what's going to happen in Coronation Street. I mean, come on, for goodness. Yeah, I know. Corey Pub, the Rovers Return is to be reduced to a burnt out shell by a fire that kills Sunita. Wowzers, I mean, that's the front page of Britain's biggest selling newspaper. Come on. And suddenly it's eight o'clock. Who'd have thunk it? Rattling through the show this morning, as always. Well, not always, let's be honest. Some, sometimes it drags. Uh, we've got to be honest. Can't get it right every day. But today, I think we're pretty near the bullseye. Lots coming up in the last hour, including... A million pounds has already been spent fighting plans for a rail freight terminal in Hertfordshire. Well, now the council wants to go to the High Court. Justin Dealey is on his way to meet campaigners who are adamant that the terminal shouldn't go ahead. Have you ever been the victim of a hate crime? Well, a phone line is being launched to help people who've suffered. I'll be speaking to Thames Valley Police to find out why the problem is underreported. And sugary drinks should be subject to a new tax, which could add 20 pence a litre to their price. Apparently the money could be used to help improve children's health and well-being. Is it a good idea? Or is it just punishing those who like the odd fizzy pop? Huh? Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. It's a good place to go, and you can argue with the other listeners. Don't be rude. Don't use swears, for goodness sakes. Come on, grow up. But you can argue. Nothing wrong with a good argument first thing in the morning. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR, and include your name. Otherwise, I'm just not going to bother reading it. And look, all of the phone lines are free. 08459 555 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Hertfordshire Council, which has already spent a million pounds fighting against a proposed rail freight terminal, is now looking to challenge the government in the High Court. St Albans Council is opposing the plans which are on Greenbelt land on the former Radlett Aerodrome site. The MP for St Albans has secured a debate in Westminster on the issue this morning. Anne Main has previously described the decision by Secretary of State, the Secretary of State, sorry, to approve the development as a mindless act of vandalism. Well, earlier on, she told me that she is concerned about the destruction of the Green Belt. There's been various pronouncements in different uh, decisions where they've said, no, the Green Belt's more important than having a rail freight here. And in fact, that's been said three times. But suddenly, we've got this shift to, but we're going to grant it. So I want to see if 
somehow maybe the Treasury's desire to build, HS2 is another example of this, means that we are now not as robust in our approach to the Green Belt. And that's going to be the thrust of my debate today. I'm going to push the Minister. It's no good saying they protect the Green Belt and then granting uh, 300 acres of it to go under concrete. Well, the coalition statement uh, a few weeks ago said uh, that, the, that one of their aims was to uh, protect and maintain the Green Belt. But we are hearing examples of councils building homes on Green Belt. So it looks like that, that ruling is a little bit flexible. Well, uh, let's put it this way. There's always been some development allowed on Greenbelt, but when we were in opposition, and I'm going to say this today, numerous uh, prominent figures within uh, our shadow government were saying, we can't trust the, this government on the Greenbelt, they're trashing it, they're building on it. Well, where are we on it? And that is the important thing. The public have got to trust politicians. Whatever, however they vote, they've got to know what we stand for. Greenbelt policy has a strong protection in law. Are we abandoning it? Are we softening it? Are we relaxing it? That's what I want to probe today. Well, we can go over now to our reporter, uh, Justin Dealey, who's at the proposed entrance to the site. Justin, what's happening there? Yes, Ian, I am indeed. It's on the uh, A414 in Hertfordshire. It's between the London Colney roundabout and the Park Street roundabout, um, right outside the entrance here. Probably hear some of the traffic behind me already. Very, very busy this morning. Got a couple of guests joining us live in our radio car here. Joe Carter, who's a local businessman, and also Bill Price, who's from St Stephen Parish Council. Bill, first of all yourself, we're talking here about a million pounds of taxpayers money to fight this is it really worth it yeah it certainly is justin this is well worth the money spent if this development goes ahead it will blight the lives of the people not just in park street and london coney but the whole of st Albans and its districts it will affect us in a number of ways and i'll explain those first of all the traffic that travels on the 414 is horrendous at the moment Hillier Slough have estimated that they will put another 3,000 lorries every 24 hours. Now, if you work that out, that's just over two every minute going onto this road, and that will gridlock London Coney, Park Street, Bricketwood, the south of St Olmans completely. It will not be travellable. The road will just seize up. The other things about this is horrendous development is of course it's green belt and we don't want building on green belt we're not opposed to rail freight terminals we want to take the traffic off the road and put it on the road on the rail but this is not the case this will not happen most of the uh, of the stuff that comes in and out of this will travel by road by rail to the depot and then go out by road and that's our big problem the road traffic will be horrendous plus the pollution from the air from the light from this depot will be absolutely enormous and will blight the lives of people all around St Albans and District. Joe, you're absolutely furious about this. Tell us why. I am. I feel totally betrayed. Uh, I think that we all have been betrayed with this because the local people here have been deceived. We know what, what these roads can manage and what they can't manage and, uh, and, and what they're proposing to put on here is going to be a total disaster for the whole area and Mainers fault for us on this matter and how Eric Pickles can now slide this through just one day before Christmas well Friday before Christmas and expect us to take this sitting down when we know it's going to destroy our area and all that's in it it's just ridiculous okay final question for you gents um, if not here where there are two other sites that are possibilities there is Colnbrook 
And as Eric Pickles promised, he would compare this with Colnbrook. He hasn't done that. That's part of the deception, we feel. The other site is at Sundon, up in Luton, where <coughs> there is unemployment. They want the site there. There is plenty of permission granted, and that would be an ideal site. He uses the same rail network, and the M1 motorway is very close nearby. So effectively, somebody else's backyard, not yours. Well, it is in somebody else's backyard, but it's not a NIMBY attitude that we're adopting. It's uh, the suitability of the site. And Joe, would you back that up? I would, I would, I would totally. Uh, the unemployment up there is required. We don't need it down here. The roads can't sustain it down here where they can up there. And a very brief question on your business. You have something like 20 vans that, that are up and down this road all the time. If this was to go ahead, that would have a, a major effect on your business and certainly uh, not a great effect. It would be absolutely ludicrous to even anticipate putting that motorway, putting that, that, this freight terminal here. It's ridiculous. OK, gents, thank you very much indeed for your time, for the time being anyway. There you go, Joe Carter, who's a local businessman, also Bill Price, who's from St Stephen Parish Council. Ian, you've heard the views there. Uh, they will say that uh, this will destroy the area if this goes ahead, and uh, both Joe and Bill both agree that a million pounds already of taxpayers' money being spent to fight this, it is money being spent in the right way. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Well, a spokesman for the Department of Communities and Local Government has said we've received correspondence from St Albans District Council, but it's not appropriate to comment further as it relates to potential legal proceedings. And developers Helio Slough said we are encouraged that the Secretary of State is minded to approve our proposal and we are now carefully considering the further requirements requested by the Secretary of State. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here we go. Homebrew. 15,000 people are apparently doing it. Why? Life's too short. Life's too short. It's like making your own pasta. Life is too short. Just go out and buy it. You get these people that... We, we bought a bread maker and we used a bread maker solidly for about a month. And then we realised, hang on, bread's really cheap. Go to your shop down the road. Go to your corner shop. Bread's really cheap. And it's such a... Oh, it smells so nice in the kitchen in the morning. Yeah, it's a hassle. It's a flipping hassle. Well, Ria's uh, texted in uh, about homebrew. Talking of homebrew, years ago, my ex decided to make wine. Four demijohns full of the stuff. If you've not seen a de- demijohn, it's a huge, thick glass bottle. It's massive. He decided to put all four of them on top of one kitchen cupboard. In the early hours of one morning, I was woken by what sounded like us being broken into. But no, the cupboard had come off the wall. Awful, all four demijohns had smashed, and my kitchen smelled like a fish and chip shop. Took months to get rid of the smell. It, it would do. It would do. And on the subject of road safety, I'm struggling with my little boy. George from Wayne, get your little boy on reins or a lead. A lead. <laughs> get him under control, whatever it takes. If he gets hit by a car, it's not just him that will suffer, but you and your family. And have you spared a thought for how the driver may feel? Yeah, I've spared lots of thoughts for everyone, George. We were put on reins when we were children until we had road sense. You wouldn't have been talking about this if he was a dog. A behaviour you seem to find endearing as a three-year-old Superman could ruin the lives of many. George, have you been listening to this show, you muppet? At what point did I say I found it endearing? When did I say I found it endearing that my three-year-old son was threatening to run into the road? Have you actually listened to anything I've said? Goodness sakes. You could find it endearing as a three-year-old Superman could ruin the lives of many. I don't find it endearing at all. What a ridiculous, stupid thing to say. Shirley's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Ian. George has got me angry, Shirley. Can you yes, calm me I down? I can hear that. 
I don't find it endearing that my son might no. get knocked down by a bus. What a stupid thing no. to say. Yes, it was a bit silly thing Silly, to say. wasn't it? What, Shirley, what, what, what do you suggest? How can I, I solve this? I always had my children. I had three children. Yeah. And I always had them on reins. Yeah. Well, my, obviously, my youngest, my, um, one would, when I had my second child. Yeah. The first one, the, was, the second one was in the pram. The first one had a seat across the pram. I had a big coach-built pram. Yeah. And I always had a, a pram seat. But if he walked, he had reins on. And when I had my third one, the, the youngest one of mine, um, the other two, both on reins, one each side of the pram, while I pushed the pram. We don't see the reins anymore. Very, very rarely do you see them. I wonder why they fell no, out of fashion. I don't know. And I used to look after my twin granddaughters as well. Oh, twins. Oh from dear. when they were four months old. Yeah. But when they first started to walk, always one each side of me on reins. Never went out without them. See, we, the, these days, Shirley, I don't, are, you, are you aware of the buggy board? Oh, is that the thing that they stand on the back? It's the thing they stand on at the back. They I've like to stand. Seen those. They're good, the buggy boards, but he doesn't always want to go on the buggy board. That's the thing. Yeah, well, my advice really in is to put him on reins. Yep. And while he's on the reins, you can then teach him how, how you cross the road safely. And always, always, always use crossings. Yes. But yes. Be very careful with the, you know, the ones you press the button. Yeah. Because um, one day I was, um, I, when the man was green, yeah. crossing the road, and a car came flying oh, along dear. and missed me by inches. Aye. And luckily, he, they stopped a little bit further along the road. Yeah. So, because I went straight along always, the road, Always, always keep and looking. And had a go. Oh, did you? I certainly did. I had a go at them. And she, the, you know, it was a woman driver, yeah. and she turned around and said, Oh, sorry, I was looking in a shop window, and I oh. said, Well, I suggest you look at the road. Yeah, that's all right. I was looking in a shop window. Oh, that's all right, then. Oh, no, you look at the bargains. Shirley, thank you very much indeed. Yes, the, 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 the pelicans and the pedestrian crossings, always use those. Always keep looking. What a sensible show we're having this morning, apart from George from Wing, who's got me angry. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties yes. Radio. We were just discussing, we had our school photos done yesterday. <laughs> it was fun, wasn't it? It wasn't fun. i tell you why. I hate having my photos done, and I think I come across <laughs> as being problematic and a bit deaverish. I just don't like... You? But no. No, I know! No. But I don't like having my photos done. It makes me very, very uncomfortable. I like having mine done. I bet you do. Yes. You old tart. I adopted some poses. <laughs> Over the shoulder. <laughs> Coquettish. <laughs> I believe is the phrase. What was your prop? My prop. No, I had to mime my prop. Sorry? My prop was a washing machine oh. that didn't really exist, so I had to stand there and pretend I was leaning on a, a washing machine that apparently will be superimposed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well oh I've just ruined that, haven't I? Oh, oh, yes. He's act. Uh, there's no way. No, out of that. What's on your show this morning? Well, coming up on the show this morning, we we talk about this litter story. Have you seen this in the, the, the Daily Mail? The Mail. Yes, we just looked at that. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. More councils apparently are using a private company run by former soldiers to issue litter fines. Pick that litter up. <laughs> 
pick it up! Can you imagine? A Freedom of Information request reveals X4 has pocketed £1.6 million in commission for offering the service, but is employing former soldiers to stop people dropping litter going too far. After all, we're only talking about the odd crisp packet and cigarette butt. Surely that could be dealt with by people who haven't been trained to kill. <laughs> so from... from nine, On the floor! From nine this morning, are some councils taking litter too seriously? Uh, would you like to see this firm employing former soldiers to work in beds, hearts and bucks? Would you like our local councils to employ this private firm? Perhaps you think it's a great idea. I don't like litter. I don't like litter. No, neither do I. I I disapprove of it strongly because there's no need for it. But should we be employing former soldiers to tackle it? Or is that going just a tad too far? From nine oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I confront litter. Do you? And one day I'm going to be killed because of it. Do you actually confront? Yes. I particularly like it if I'm driving and it's uh, school chucking out time and you see children dropping litter. Yeah. I like to stop my car oh. in the middle of the road yeah. and yeah. wind the window down and chastise a group of youngsters. Yeah, you're right, because I tell you what, there is actually um, nothing wrong with a single man in a car stopping outside a school, winding down the window and shouting at children. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. John, there's literally, there is nothing wrong with that. I think more single men should be doing that. <laughs> I did it. I did it last year. I saw this young lad, he chucked something on the floor. So I stopped my car in the middle of the road, so traffic couldn't get past. I wound the window down, I said, pick that up! And he turned and he, and he gave me a look, and I said, pick it up! I'm not moving until you pick it up! Well, of course, all the traffic was backing up, so the embarrassment of yes, it yes. meant he kind of sheepishly went back and picked it up. You're going to get done. Pocket. You are going to get done. I know. If I'd been that lad, do you know what I'd have done? What would you have done? That. Ooh! <laughs> I know. I would have done. Well, I probably would have leapt out of my luxury car and karate chopped you in your windpipe. (laughs) I can't can't even be bothered. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Ah, it'd be an interesting one. I, I do like it when he's feisty. He's feisty this morning. He's, you can tell he's better now. Yesterday he was kind of easing himself back in. Today he's, he's back on top form. Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine o'clock. 08459 455 555 if you want to start calling now. Or you can send him an email, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Put your phone number, what you want to talk about, and one of the team will possibly get back in touch. Now, have you been spat at in the street because you're disabled? Or, or accused of being a scrounger because you're in a wheelchair? It happens... These are two examples of the hate crimes which have happened in the three counties. There were over t- uh, 1,200 reported incidents in beds, hearts and bucks last year. And today, Buckinghamshire County Council will launch a helpline to support victims. Well, earlier on in the programme, I spoke to Trevor from Buckinghamshire. And basically, I was uh, in the middle of a busy town centre, and uh, there was a, a guy preaching about the church, and um, he spotted me from across the, the market square and um, started screaming, Sinner! At me. He, he, sorry, what? He started screaming sinner. Well, uh, Trevor, I have to ask the question. Are you a sinner? Um, we're all sinners here. Oh, but, um, <laughs> very true, yes. Tell me about but, it. Um, he said, you know, he was screaming at me, basically, saying that um, the reason I was disabled was because I was a sinner. And what sins have I done? What sins have I done? I started questioning myself whether or not I was a sinner. The unfortunate thing was, was I was trying to do some business in the bank that wasn't accessible at the time. And... Um, uh, so I had to I had to endure that while I was talking to to the bank teller on a busy Saturday Saturday morning. Yeah. You can, so you, you do that. You sort the stuff out of the bank. You go home, have a cup of tea. Yeah. How do you feel then when you get home and shut the door? I never left the house for eight months. 
Really? Yeah. It made me very, very, you know, sort of like conscious of my disability. Um, to be honest, I'm over it now, but um, it very made, made me very self-conscious, made me um, sort of a little bit agoraphobic, I suppose. Well, Hugh Matthews is from Thames Valley Police. Morning, Hugh. Good morning, Ian. 230 crimes in Buckinghamshire. It seems a, a comparatively no num- low number. Is there a real need for this service? I most certainly think there is, but I think the important thing to consider is that if you are a victim of any hate-related behaviour, simply by virtue of the fact that you may be disabled or for virtue of your race, religion, gender or sexual orientation, um, it, it's ex- it can be extremely frightening, um, as your last um, speaker just intimated there. Um, it, 200 and something, 300 and something may not seem very many across a large area, but if you are a victim of hate crime or hate behaviour, even if it's lower level behaviour, it can be extremely frightening and one incident is too many. I, I agree with you. And if people are being picked on because of their, their, their gender or their sexual orientation or, or, or their disability, then that's, um, uh, that's outrageous. We, we had someone from the, the spokesperson from the charity who said that they also represent goths. Can goths be victims of hate crime? Well, realistically, if, if anybody's being picked on by virtue of whoever they happen to be, as far as, as, as far as we're concerned, and as far as the police and the local councils are concerned, if somebody's being picked on because of who they happen to be, then that's effectively hate-related behaviour. So if I, if I see a goth and I say, hey, mate, you look stupid, get a job, is that a hate crime? Um, well, it may not be a hate crime as such, right. um, because it may, uh, if I could explain what a hate yes, crime is... Yes, please, do, clear it, clear, clear it up. Which is basically any criminal offence which is perceived by any person to have been motivated by hostility towards somebody, basically because of who they are. Yeah. And there's actually five, five categories, which I mentioned earlier, that are legally defined, which is disability by race, religion, gender identity or sexual orientation. But in fact, if you happen to be a goth, it may not fall within any of those, any of those specific legal five categories, but if somebody's being victimised because of who they happen to be yeah. or what they happen to represent, then as far as I'm concerned, it's a hate-related incident, even if it's not actually a criminal offence in, in law. And I think we need to know about it as a society. Hugh, and Tre- between us all, we need to try and prevent that sort of behaviour. Trevor, who we spoke to earlier on, um, told me that he was reluctant to call the police about um, when he'd been abused in the street. Why do you think some people don't want to make that call to the police? Well, there's been some national research, actually, which has been extremely revealing, and there's a number of reasons why some people don't feel able, for whatever reason, to contact police. Some of those are that they just don't know how. Um, or or they, they, some people fear that it may make the situation worse if they're a particular target of hate-related behaviour from a neighbour, for example, or from somebody regularly on a bus. Um, lack of self-confidence. Um, the gentleman you spoke to there, I believe he was disabled. And, and a lot of people just don't have very much personal self-confidence, which often is linked to the fact that they've been subjected to constant, repeated what appear to you and me, or to many people, just to be low-level teasing. But it's extremely debilitating and, and shatters people's confidence and makes their lives hell. Um, but one, I think one of the saddest reasons why people don't report is a lot of people who've been subjected to hate-related behaviour, maybe throughout their life, particularly people who, for example, are in a wheelchair, that they, they become, a lot of them have actually given feedback to this national research, that they've become conditioned, if you like, to accept it as just part of life. Mm. And that's completely unacceptable. And their lives sometimes are made a misery by repeated, what you, as I say, you and I consider, low-level repeated attacks, just teasing on a bus. But if it's every day, it's, it makes life hell for some people. So will the police be working in conjunction with this Stop Hate line? 
Um, well, it's important, I think, that your listeners understand that, uh, that everybody does appreciate this is actually not a police initiative. This is an initiative which has been, which has been paid for and has been taken on by Buck Buckinghamshire County Council and each of the district councils mm. as well. Um, and actually, I know you cover Bedfordshire area as well. I'm speaking for Buckinghamshire and Thames Valley Police. But... Uh, also pay Stop Hate UK, the council's there, so the service is also available across the county there. But the police very much need and want to know what's going on. We need to know where hate crime incidents um, are occurring, so we very much support and actually financially are contributing to this initiative across the county. Am I allowed to ask how much you're contributing? Uh, well, Thames Valley Police, we cover the three counties of Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Berkshire, and we're contributing um, £10,000 across the fourth area for those areas that wish to, that, for those councils that are taking on the full initiative. Hugh Matthews from Thames Valley Police, thank you very much indeed. Uh, some of the stories we've heard this morning have been uh, I incredible. Why would you spit at someone because they're in a wheelchair? I, I don't understand. I don't understand that in the slightest. How is that even, at what point do you think, oh yeah, that's a fun thing to do? <laughs> There's someone in a wheelchair. I'm going to spit at them. Come on, guys. Who's in? Yeah? Okay, guys, let's do it. You ready? Where, how is that even conceivable as a fun idea? I hope they don't clip that bit and use it as a trail for the show. It's going to make me sound awful, isn't it? You take that out of context. Don't use that bit. Oh, it's going to make me... Oh, I'm going to be in such big trouble. And that's going to be on YouTube, isn't it? On FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, that'll wake you up, won't it? Uh, now, in the last half an hour of the show, does homebrew always taste disgusting? Apparently, 15,000 people across the country are now making their own beer. We'll hear from a man from Olney about how he's turned his hobby into a business. And sugary drinks should be subject to a new tax, which could add 20 pence a litre to their price. Well, that's what's uh, being suggested now. Do you buy a lot of fizzy pop? <clears throat> Well, the, the people are saying, a group called Sustain are saying they want a tax to be imposed on them. They say a levy of 20 pence per litre on fizzy pops would pr produce £1 billion a year, which could be spent on schemes such as extending free school meals to all primary kids. The campaign is backed by 61 organisations, including several medical colleges. Charlie Powell is campaign's director for Sustain. Morning, Charlie. Morning, Ian. Why do you want to introduce this tax? We want to introduce it because these uh, sugar drinks are mini health time bombs. They are providing excess sugar and excess calories, which are both things that we're not short of. We have an obesity epidemic in this country, and obesity is linked to life-threatening diseases such as heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, and some cancers. And we believe that, first of all, the nation would be healthier if it drank less of them, and secondly, we would raise this billion pounds a year to plough into improving children's future health and well-being it's a win-win situation but what but why should i be punished why, why should i be, have to pay more money just because i like the odd cream soda and the odd pepsi well, the problem is that this is, this is a problem that's affecting us all. At current rates of increase, 70% of us will be overweight by 2020. That will that's, not because to... of, that's not because of Coke, though, is it, or Dr Pepper? Well, I, I, that is a, a definite uh, contributing factor. Now, um, you have to remember that diet-related illness actually costs the NHS £6 billion a year to treat. And as taxpayers, we're all paying for that. It's clearly unsustainable. And as a variety of measures that should be part of an integrated anti-obesity strategy, we believe that the sugary drinks duty is appropriate 
and proportionate. But, and, but Charlie, and, and, it's not going to work, is it? It's silly, because by putting 20 pence on a litre, so a, a bottle of, uh, I don't know, whatever, lemonade goes up by 20 pence, it's not, people aren't going to drink less because of that, Charlie. Well, that's not what the research shows. I mean, it works for tobacco in discouraging smoking. It's the but uh, tobacco has gone up by t- 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 a packet of fags is about eight or nine quid a packet now. But, but twenty pence on a bottle of lemonade is not going to stop anyone drinking it, it, is it? It's also the theory behind the minimum pricing for alcohol. But the research does show that if you, a ten percent increase in price on soft drinks will lead to about a ten percent reduction in consumption. And when you think what that, research is um, that? Uh, that's research that's published. It's a systematic review of, of modelling studies in the American Journal uh, of Public yeah. Health. So it's which, American. Which, yeah, yeah uh, but it looks at 160 international studies. Right. Um, and um, when you imagine that, uh, not even imagine, when you know that five billion litres of sugary drinks are sold in the UK every year, you can understand the size of the problem. And we're talking about, you know, in a can of Coke, you've got nine lumps of sugar, 35 grams of sugar, just not just Coke, but in any fizzy, fizzy pop, um, it's, it's sugar laden. When you, when you realise the size of the problem, you see how it's contributing to ill health in this country, you, you realise something to, pretty robust has to happen. You want the tax to be spent on things such as free school meals to, for primary school children and getting them to eat fruit. But you can't pick and choose where the tax goes, can you? Because it goes into a pot. Well, we'd be very happy for the Chancellor to take his cut, that's for sure. But to be public acceptable, uh, we feel that people need to be told that the money will be ring-fenced for things like health promotion to to make sure that children are healthier, the anti-obesity measures. And polling from around the world shows that the public are much more supportive of these sorts of duties when they know that they're ring-fenced. But you couldn't guarantee that that's where it would go, though, could you? That's that's the thing. You can't say, hey, listen, introduce this new tax, but you've got to spend it on stopping kids getting fat. Well, I mean, that's why we have a campaign. We have a campaign to ensure that the duty is bought in and that the exchequer only take a small cut and the majority is spent on actually improving children's health. And, you know, if the government wants to do this, and we, we, we think that they, there will come a time when they want to do it, we're calling for it in Budget 2013, then to be publicly acceptable, they'll need to commit to ring-fencing. I mean, in the same way, I suppose, that, you know, the BBC licence fee is ring-fenced for the BBC. There, there are other precedents of this happening as well. Uh, Paul from Biggleswade uh, and Tim and Sandy have got in touch and said, what about diet drinks which have reduced sugar? Yeah, um, I mean, we're not uh, fans at all of artificially sweetened drinks, I have to say, and there, there's plenty oh, of healthy alternatives. For instance, tap water is free. And, uh, oh, come on, Charlie. Anything, Listen, you can't the, get anything much more healthy I than like that. a bit of council but, pop. I love a bit of council pop. But, but, but if I want some fizzy pop, then that's fine. Would you put a tax on the, on the, the drinks that have got reduced sugar? Um, if they have any added sugar at all, we would have a tax on oh them. Dear. If they're sugar-free, no, we wouldn't. And and uh, if you look at the, you know, it, it's all very well to say, oh dear, but I mean, it, you know, we have to curb this six billion pounds it's not, a year it's not that's spent about on the NHS treating diet. Charlie, it's not health. fizzy pop that's doing it, mate. It's it's McDonald's and it's Burger King and it's Kentucky Fried Chicken and it's crisps and it's Mars bars and it's uh, fizzy pop is a it's, tiny portion of it. No, it's not. I'm sorry. It's it's junk food in the round and junk food in the round covers fatty food salty food and sugary food and fizzy drinks are a major contribution to sugar in the uk diet so please don't underplay the the effect that sugary drinks well please don't overplay the effect on sugary drinks because i think most people drink it responsibly and why should we be punished just for having a little glass of fizzy pop every now and then well, it's not about punishing. It's about discouraging consumption and raising money to improve children's health. Already, one in three children leave school 
already overweight uh, okay, or obese. Charlie, I'm going to win there, because I don't think you can blame the obesity problem entirely on fizzy pop. I really think that's unfair. I think there are a lot more important things. Thank you, Charlie Powell, for Campaigns Director for Sustain. Christopher Snowden is a research fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs, uh, who's coming up on... We're guess, getting him up online now. Uh, we're going to find out his opinion. But what do you think? 20 pence a litre on fizzy pop? It... <laughs> It doesn't seem fair, really. And of course, look, listen, kids shouldn't be sat at home guzzling that junk. Of course they shouldn't. Of course they shouldn't. It's ridiculous that they should... People suggest that. Is that really the main cause of kids being fat? And 20 pence a litre is not going to stop people drinking that much pop, is it? It's not big enough. Put five quid on the bottle, then yeah, maybe, maybe it will. Then maybe that will happen. But 20 pence, it's not a big enough leap, is it? It's not a significant increase for people to go, well, actually, no, we're not going to, uh... We're not going to get that iron brew tonight, love. We're having none of that. <clears throat> we'll see. Well, we're going to try and get back to Christopher Snowden uh, a little bit later on, if we can get hold of him. 08459 455 555. What do you think? W- w- that increase, would that be enough to stop you? I suspect not. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Mrs. Nahid Khan, Mrs., thank you very much, uh, has texted in about road safety. Well done. Put your name on the text. I don't need to know your marital status, but it, it, it helps. Uh, Mrs. Khan, thank you. Uh, about how I can get some, knock this road safety message into my boy's head. Uh, I used to tell my little boy that even though he was a superhero, I wasn't. A mummy needed his special help to be able to cross the road. And so please, could he hold my hand and help me to cross the road? It worked every time. That is genius we'll have some of that i like that that's genius um and in hitching we're talking about people this <laughs> sometimes i do wonder the things you pick up on we're talking about homebrew and how it's it's, it's on the increase Fifteen thousand people are making their own uh, beers and wines and things i don't know why and i mentioned that i've got a bread maker we used it for a couple of months and then we couldn't be bothered it sits in the corner and every now and then we go oh oh we should make some uh, bread or we could buy some from the shop down the road for a quid. Anne in Hitchin says, I've had a bread maker for six months and use it three times a week. You know exactly what goes in it and what you're eating. It's not always about cost. The thing about bread making is, unless I've got this wrong, you go and buy, you don't go and buy like raw ingredients. You get some flour, but then you get a packet of yeast and then you get a packet of seed, like kind of bread seeds. Bread seeds? That's not right. You get, it's all kind of there anyway. The same with the homebrew. You're just putting things in from packets to make it. That's it. That's all there is. I like the idea of bread making, but actually, it's such a faff to do, isn't it? It really is. We'll do a bread making special one day. That's a BBC guarantee, dear listener. Something to look forward to. Quick look at the front pages. Not because I'm filling or anything, just because I thought it'd be nice to look at the front pages. The Daily Telegraph. Some actresses have won some things. <clears throat> They've won some things. Good for them. A vacuous, soulless industry has awarded some vacuous, soulless prizes to probably some vacuous, soulless people. Isn't that exciting? New Hope, as doctors say, cancer can be managed. Specialists find treatments using DNA code. The Times. Tories tell companies to reveal ethnic makeup. Uh, The Guardian. British troops to join French in Mali mission. Britain is prepared to take the risk of sending a sizable amount of troops to Mali. Oh, dear. 
Really. Fears over UK economy put £3 billion development on hold. The Independent. Oh, star-studded Turkey. Is movie 43 the worst film ever? Oh, I want to see this because it does look absolutely awful. The Citizen Kane of awful. Critics and crowds tearing to movie 43. Director hits back after gross-out comedy tanks on US release. Oh, I might go and see that. Or wait till it's on ITV. With posters boasting it had the biggest collection of stars ever assembled in one film, Movie 43 was supposed to be a surefire hit. Instead, the Hollywood filmmaker behind the gross-out comedy has found himself defending the project with it, all its, his energy. Oh, I'm, I, I, I like films that are really bad. Uh, very quickly, Daily, uh, Daily Express, millions stung by new 15% tax rises. The Daily Mail, and The Sun, oh, there's going to be a fire in Coronation Street. We've been talking about this uh, rail freight that could be opening. A million pounds has been sent, spent so far. Uh, Dave is in Luton. Morning, Dave. Morning, Ian. What, what, what's your take on this? Right. The, the businessman from St Albans and the councillor from St Albans County, uh, Council... That's Anne Main, yes. Yeah. ...said, right, why a Sundon Park, or Sundon Village, the quarry... Which is an ideal place because everyone in Bedfordshire, or maybe Sundon, wants it for employment. Now, do these two people that came on, have they ever seen Leegrave in the mornings of the chaos and the motorway at the M1? Because I can never ever see uh, that quarry being made into a, t- a rail terminal. Why isn't it put down at St Albans? Because you've got the M1, right. you've got the M25, yeah. the M4, the M40, all close at hand. So you're saying that Anne Main, the MP, and everybody else complaining should just man up and accept that this is going to be in St Albans and stop trying to fob it off from somewhere else? Actual fact, it's not actually going to be in St Albans, is it? It's because I used to work for freight liners at yeah. Wilsdon. Oh, yeah. And now... But put it into Wilsdon, it's coming up the, uh, up towards Albans. Uh, wh- whatever happened to Wilsdon, I don't know, because that was a huge terminal. It was a huge... I know Wilsdon very well. But, but Dave, it's Greenbelt land. We're supposed to... Well, the the, the, the um, coalition well, want on. to protect Greenbelt yeah. land. But hang on, isn't Sundon Quarry, isn't Sundon a Greenland? Can a quarry be a Greenbelt? Well, it, no, it's not a quarry anymore, Oh, OK, it? no, you're right. OK, well, no. listen, uh, Dave, listen, thank you very much for that. Do we have any weather? I don't think we do. Well, I'll tell you the weather. It's going to be dry, and there might be... Oh, no, look, look, you're all fired. We have got weather. Yes, we have. Should we go to it? Why not? Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm not talking until you dial through, Kelly Betts. Fader 2 is open. Is there a, Who's there? Is that I'm Kate? Here. Yes, I'm here. I do apologise. We're having little technical problems. Our staff That's shall okay. be fired immediately. Over to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's your forecast. Thank you very much, Kate. We got there in the end. Excellent stuff. Speaking of uh, sports that I have no interest in and don't want to do, uh, Justin Dealey, our presenter here, has worked... Well, we're going to speak to Justin in a bit. I'll let, him, I'll let him tell you what he's kind of wrote me into. 
I hope it isn't happening. He was going to find out about it today. I hope it's not happening. Anyway, we'll speak to Justin in a minute. Home brewing is on the rise, and there could be more than 15,000 people in the UK making their own disgusting beer. That's according to Phil Lowry, a home brewing expert who writes a column for St Albans-based Cameras Beer magazine. He told me earlier, it isn't just for old men with beards. And I will agree with you, in the 70s, I can remember friends of mine, dad, making his boot kits in his garage, and... I obviously wasn't old enough to drink them, so I couldn't couldn't comment. But now it's 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 astounding, actually, having been in the beer industry all my life, how much it's become cool. I mean, I you know flattered to be friends with people like Logan Plant, whose father is out of Page and Plant, and he is oh. ex home brewer now pro brewer. So you, you're talking, and it, it, well, it is apparent when you walk around some of the the homebrew clubs. Well, Matthew Hargreaves is head brewer at, the, at Hopping Mad Brewery in Olney. He started brewing at home five years ago, and the business has grown from there. Uh, Matthew, why did you start brewing at home? Hello. Uh, good morning. Um, I started brewing at home because I wanted an alternative to the type of beer that you could buy in the supermarkets to drink at home. And I really liked the thought of having a barrel of proper ale to drink at home. So that was my passion. And, and I don't know if you're, if you're married or if you've got a partner or what, but did, did, did your friends and your relatives kind of go, oh, Matthew, for goodness sakes, grow up. Grow up, man. No, they all wanted a barrel of beer. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, my wife wasn't too keen with that, dominated the kitchen, but actually everyone found it quite a lot of fun and quite interesting and a little bit different. How did you take your hobby into your business? Well, I was a businessman, had a different business before that, which uh, I'd sold recently, and I saw it as, potentially a good opportunity and i do think you know and it's backed up since launching the business that people do want a a little bit more of a a locally personality artisan based offering to the homogenous brands that we've all become very used to i think a little bit of alternative is very nice in today's lifestyle is it cheaper to make your own matthew um it is however you do have to consider the amount of time it takes i used to make my beer always from barley water yeast uh, and hops yeah. and so you know it would take me literally a whole day minimum or probably a day and a half's work yeah. to produce um 25 litres of beer so i think if you add your time in then it's probably not but if you're an enthusiast and you're passionate about it then it's fun do you think people more people are home brewing now because of alcohol being so pricey i mean people are being priced out of pubs aren't they so d- d- is that the reason well um, I'm not certain that people don't go to the pubs because of price anymore. Um, I'm, I, I don't necessarily hold that view. Um, I, I just think people are more passionate and, and just like a, a little bit of an alternative lifestyle, just something a little bit more fun than, than the boring same old. But I think, um, I, I, you know, I'm not certain as, as to what I just think we've got out of the habit of going to the pub. And I think we should support our pubs because... That's a great British culture, and I think once it's gone, we will not be able to get it back. Matthew, thank you very much. Matthew Hargreaves, head brewer at Hopping Mad Brewery in Olney. Well, we didn't find a lady who was a home brewer. I don't think that exists. I think it is the only hobby that you can say categorically is done 100% by gentlemen of a certain type. Oh, well, the, the search continues. Now, my three-year-old boy, I love him. I love him. I had such a wonderful day with him yesterday, even when he was belly-flopping me. I know, it was gr- we had so much fun. He was naughty at bedtime, but it's just because he was tired. Uh, he won't cross the road safely. He's got no fear, and he thinks he's Superman, and that cars will bounce off him if they hit him. Are he actually, if you have that conversation with an adult, you think, oh, jog on, mate. 
But, but with a child, you've got to kind of go with it. Well, our uh, road safety correspondent, Justin Dealey, is outside a school in St Albans. Good morning, Justin. Ian, I am indeed. I'm outside the Park Street School in Hertfordshire. Lots of parents here. We're going to hear from Georgina in just a second, but uh, this lady's walked up live to our radio car. Madam, what's your name? Dawn. Dawn, welcome to the programme. You're live across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Who's this with you today? Then? This is Lily May, my daughter. And how old's Lily? Three. Three years old. Now, Ian's child, very, very young, he thinks that he's Superman. He thinks that he's got superpowers. Hours, he can walk out into the road and everything's going to be okay. We need some advice for Ian. What would you like to say to him this morning? Well, first of all, you need to stop, look and listen and make sure that there's nothing coming your way before you cross. And also, also make sure that you've always holding on to mummy's hand. I mean, has your child ever said to you, I've got superpowers, mum, don't worry, I'll be absolutely fine? She thinks she's supergirl. <laughs> so, so this is definitely a child thing then. When she said to you, mum, I'm supergirl, I can walk out into the road, I'm fine. Again, how did you confront that situation? I said, you can't, you're not supergirl. Supergirl has special powers and you haven't. Oh, I like you. You're good and it worked. It worked. Fantastic. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. There you go. Just walked up live to the radio car having a, a quick chat. So that was uh, Dawn. And Ian, I've got some more advice for you. Would yes. you like it? I would love um, it. Yes, please. Earlier on, I spoke to Georgina and this is what happened. Right, Georgina, you just pulled up here to the school. Tell us who's in the car with you this morning. I've got my two children, Charlie and Elizabeth, and my dog, Rufus. And uh, who's the worst behaved out of those three? <sighs> Probably the dog. Or me. <laughs> <laughs> now, your children, are they a bit like Ian's? Do they claim to have superpowers and they can walk out into the middle? of the road and they think nothing will happen pretty much so they think they're invincible yes so how do you solve this problem then because ian's got a problem now how would you solve it what i do is i really tell them brutally what will happen but it doesn't seem to make much difference so i generally have to go around with them and you know sort of be their backup plan or take away their privilege of walking on their own so you've actually said to them, look, if you were to continue to walk out into the road, you could actually die here. You've been, you've been that yeah, honest with the children. Abs- oh, absolutely. Lose legs, be in a wheelchair, won't be able to do things. Yeah, absolutely brutal. And has it made a difference? Not really, no. <laughs> so what next? <laughs> I don't know. I wish there was an answer, I have to say, because that does worry me all the time when they're on their rollerblades, when they're on their scooters bikes, walking to school, anything. You know, generally, if they're out, that's one of my main fears, that they walk out. And do you think, just last, do you think we need more road safety videos? Because when I was growing up, when I was at school, we had them all. Nowadays, you don't tend to hear too much about them. No, I agree. Yeah, you don't see much at all that helps you with this sort of thing. Yeah, I think that'd be a great help. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Get the kids into school. Have a yep, good day. Will do. Thank <laughs> you. Bye-bye. There you go, Ian. I think you need to be brutally honest, my friend. Wowzers. That's Ooh, harsh. That's it harsh. Was, it was harsh, but in saying that, even being <clears throat> that harsh for Georgina sadly hasn't worked. <laughs> <laughs> we need another... T- now, listen, Justin, just going off on a slight tangent. Yes. Yesterday after the show, we came in, we had the meeting, we were all buzzing, high-fiving each ooh, other, because it was... We always buzz after the show. Yeah. Uh, and you came in and said, oh, yeah, I've just been down, I've got, got, got <laughs> you fancy coming and doing a little bit of this, be a little bit of that, be a ducking and diving. But you, you, just tell the listener what it was you, you, you mentioned yesterday, you asked me to do. Well, and is it happening? It was quite literally ducking and diving. Yeah. Uh, because hopefully this Thursday, still hasn't been confirmed yet, to oh. my knowledge anyway. Um, of course, uh, the big TV show Splasher, back on our TV screen. Which we Saturday. love. We do love I it. I think it's, it's great. It's tacky TV, but we love it. Um, that, of course, is filmed in Luton at the Luton Sports Village in Spire. There's an opportunity for us mm. to get our speedos on hey. and to go down to Inspire potentially this Thursday. 
day oh. and have a dive off oh, with dear. one of the diving instructors. Wow. Now, surely you've got to be up for this. Um, well, now you say up for it. Yes. You, uh, no, not really. But because because there were like girls in the studio after yeah. the show, Zimmer <laughs> Ryder. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, man, yeah, yeah. come on, let's go yeah. diving, Dealey. <laughs> but I'm terrified. Why are you terrified? I can't dive. Oh, I, can't I can't do the dive, EJ. Come on, no, we, we 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 both can't dive. Not ten meters. No, no, I, I don't think uh, the BBC Health and Safety form quite goes to ten meters. But we could certainly do a dive from maybe five meters. <laughs> oh no, are you serious? Meters? Yeah. What if my swimmers fall off? Well, you've just got to get on with it, haven't you? You've got to walk out the pool like a proud man. You know, I've heard the rumours, so it should be OK. Oh, dear. Uh, uh, when do we find out if this, if this is going to happen or not? Um, probably by 9.30 this morning. Oh, I, I really, you know, everybody at home, just pray that this, this gets called off because the, 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 the sports centre realises this is a ridiculous uh, idea. And you know what? Work experience Kelly bets. I know that she's up for it as well. She cannot wait to get down there to see our ripped bodies in that pool doing a dive. Well, Kelly's made so many mistakes this morning, Justin, that I suspect she won't be working with us anymore. <laughs> oh, it's a shame, <laughs> thank you, Justin. Listen, <laughs> let, you. let's keep our fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Uh, and uh, thank you very much. I really don't want to go diving, but it's that thing of I've kind of said, yeah, whoa, hey, come on, man. Totes. I'm totes in with the dive. Oh, dearie me. I can't dive. I've never been able to dive. I can swim, but I don't like getting my eyes, um, uh, I don't like getting water up my nose and in my eyes. I don't. I can't swim underwater. Do you know what? When I was a kid, I was always, I always, I, I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't want to be an actor because I was scared I'd be in a film where I had to swim underwater with my eyes open. I did. I used to watch The Towering Inferno and Jaws and think, oh, I could never do that. It's not The Towering Inferno. Poseidon Adventure. That's it. Yes. No, there's not underwater swimming in The Towering Inferno. Uh, I have to thank Kelly Betts for coming in this morning. It's a day off. She came in by accident. She didn't know it was her day off. And so she didn't. So we grabbed her and we used her. Back tomorrow at six, JVS up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.